Hey everybody, it's Brent Wallace from the Wally Mathod Show, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going good, going good. And uh, we're going to get to talk a lot of great hockey today as we introduce you to the teams of the Atlantic Division. We do, Tim. We do. And thankfully, we're going to be splitting our segments into two separate episodes. This episode is going to be featuring all the American teams. So it's going to be Florida, Tampa Bay, Boston, Detroit, and Buffalo. And we got some great people to have on. So without further ado, I feel we should give them a little bit of a shout out here. So in chronological order, big thank you to David Dwork for the Florida Panthers, Noah Wilson for the Tampa Bay lightning, Jake Rivard for the Detroit Red Wings. Melissa Burgess for the Buffalo Sabres and Brandon Quas for the Boston Bruins. So greatly appreciate these guys doing those for us. Now, I do want to say that uh, we got some great segments. I don't, I don't want to keep our listeners waiting too long, Tim. So do you feel we should just throw it over to? Let's get right in there. Kicking off the American section of our season preview show, representing the division and President Trophy winning Florida Panthers, is the host of the Florida Panthers podcast, Tripping the Cats, and also is the local sports journalist for WPLG Local 10 News. Please welcome to the show, David Dwork. David, how's it going? Welcome to the show. It's going great. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, we're really super excited to have you on to chat some Florida Panthers stuff. Now, before we get into this, David, one of the things that I always love doing with this show is we'd like to take a few minutes to just get our know our guests a little bit better. Now, with you doing this segment with us, David, we're actually breaking some new ground here as this is the very first time we're getting to work with somebody who actually works for a non-sports channel, but instead an actual news station, WPLG Local 10 News in South Florida. And anytime we get the chance to talk with somebody, we like to get them to t- talk to us about how they got to start with the podcast or the blog they write for. But in your case, I would like to get to know from you, how did you get the urge to go into sports journalism? Uh, I actually did like the TV production thing as a, as a grade school stu- student from like fourth grade through graduation, magnet high school, all that stuff. So I was one of the, the TV production AV nerds and, you know, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. So uh, when I became an adult or still waiting, but you know, when I became older <laughs> and I, f- I tried playing hockey for a few years, didn't work out, moved back home, trying to figure out what do I do with my life? So I got back into the broadcasting stuff. Uh, I worked in sports radio for about eight and a half years, uh, two different stations down here, 
hosting shows, producing shows, covering practices and games for all our local teams, the Panthers included. And then that just kind of kept building. I got I got a job writing for TV stations that allowed me to continue to cover sports. Uh, you know, back then it was a lot more Dolphin stuff and the Miami Heat were going on. Uh, but my passion was always hockey. I played hockey most of my life. Eventually, when I got hired by uh, Channel 10, by Local 10, uh, they kind of afforded me the opportunity to pursue my passion and to cover hockey full time, start the podcast uh, and started going to, you know, every Panther game, every Panther practice that I could. And it's just kind of built from there. So it's really just kind of been a, a, a long and a hard nose type of uh, trying to think like, what's the, what's the word? I, I hate it when you, you lose that word, but it's like you know, persistence, but more just like um, stubborn. Like I didn't want to give up. <laughs> like I just was like, I had, I guess when you've had jobs that you hate, like, you know, in between when you're trying to like, you know, work the hustle, I've had a few jobs that I really hated. And I knew that like, if I could figure out a way to make a living doing something that I love, to hold on as hard as I could. So that's really what I've been doing with all this. And uh, it's, you know, I've been very fortunate, uh, extremely fortunate to, to have some of the opportunities that I've had to this, to this point. Now we're talking about the Florida Panthers. And when we had talked a little from Litterbox Cats on last year for a season preview show, we talked about the state of hockey in South Florida. And of course we talked about how the Panthers, it seemed very much like hockey was very much an afterthought with the success of the Miami heat and with the success that Miami dolphins have given the Miami or sorry, the Florida Panthers winning the president's trophy and the division, where is the state of hockey right now in South Florida? I don't think it's changed a whole lot, to be honest. Um, You know, there's, it's going to take some time. Like the Panthers were bad for a long time. Anything, any good graces that they built up in the first few years, it was super awesome. You went to the finals, you know, that was, that was amazing. Like you couldn't have asked for a better start and totally just pissed it away with basically the two thousands and part of the teens. Like it was just the fans here. had no reason to go. South Florida is, I wouldn't call it a really great sports region, to be honest. Like they're great when teams are winning, most that's the easy part, but you know, you, you don't get a whole lot of loyalty in numbers down here. You've got your, you know, your base fan bases for each team, whether it's the dolphins, whether it's the heat or whether it's the Panthers, everybody has their base. That's going to be hardcore. Um, but in terms of like making it like, you know, mainstream, like the thing to do, it's got to be popular. It's got to be fun. You've got to want to brag to your friends, how you were at the game and that you did this and that that's been the heat for basically, you know, since they drafted Dwayne Wade in 2003, I mean, even in the nineties with Zoe and Timmy, like the heat were always good. They've never had any lulls. Like even if they have a bad year here or there, the heat are always reliably good. So fans have been able to latch onto that. The dolphins were reliably good for, you know, three decades. And then after Marino retired and they fired Shula or Shula, you know, retired, however you want to look at it. um, It's been really rough going for them as well. And, you know, the dolphins, you know, the NFL is probably a bigger thing than the NHL while, you know, big picture, maybe I don't, you know, personally agree, but you know, the dolphins will have theirs. The Panthers have work to do. The hockey is a great sport and this is a great town that loves winners and the Panthers are right there. And I think when people start to show up, like the casual sports fan starts to go and see how much fun it is, then it'll build quickly, but that's gotta come with winning. So, I mean, the Panthers couldn't have had a better year last year up until the playoffs. Uh, If they keep building on that, which, you know, they absolutely should based on the way that the roster is put together, it'll come. But to expect changes overnight, I think, is unreasonable for anybody that doesn't know South Florida sports. It's going to take some time. 
Right. Do you feel that the reason why they are a fair weather market is maybe because of some of the transplants that have come to South Florida as well? It could be, honestly, like I, I you know, now that you, you asked, I've never really dug too deep into it existentially in terms of the South Florida sports fan psyche. I guess just because I've been one my whole life, you know, I grew up down here, but also, you know, I, I think I'm kind of an odd man in that regard because I'm one of the crazy fans who's loyal and sucks up no matter what's happening. Like the Dolphins, you know, one win season, the Heat are bad, the Marlins are the Marlins exist. Let's not, yeah, let's not even go there. Let's <laughs> let's keep this PG. But no, it's 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 tough going down here. I don't know how much the transplants be because like the transplants will generally root for whoever they rooted for before they came here. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, visiting draws are, you know, big down here. Uh, No, I just think it's just because it's South Florida. There's no shortage of things to do. It's not like you're looking forward to Sunday just so you can sit in front of the TV and watch sports, Um, you know, watch football when it's, you know, crazy winter outside because you can go to the beach 365 days a year down here. You can go to clubs, you can go, you know, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. There's, you know, there's just tons of stuff to do. The sports teams, you know, they don't just get it on their own for better or worse. That is what South Florida, you know, that's what it is. So I think the transplants just kind of do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and the reason why I bring that up, David, is because you definitely see that in a market, say like Arizona is the same thing where a lot of transplants arrive in Arizona. They don't really have an attachment to the local teams. And if they're not winning, they don't really have a reason to go unless their local team that they cheered for is there. Now, moving away from talking about South Florida, let's talk a little bit about your podcast, Chirping the Cats. Now, outside of your sports journalism, you are the host of the Panthers podcast, Chirping the Cats. With so many hockey podcasts out there, I'm actually kind of I shouldn't say I'm really all that surprised that there's not a ton for the Florida Panthers out there outside of say yourself or Box Cats. When it comes to podcasting, how and when did you get the idea to start it up? And also, did you see it more as its own thing or an extension of what you're doing in sports journalism? Um, the Panthers coverage, my Panthers coverage in terms of on the Panthers beat and the podcast kind of came simultaneously. It was kind of a hand in hand concept. Uh, that my station and I came up with together. Uh, you know, for me, I was just kind of like on board with whatever you guys want to do. You're going to, you're going to let me, you know, go cover the Panthers all the time. You know, you tell me what you need. Um, I had never done a podcast. Uh, it's, you know, it's just something that I've kind of done. Uh, and I've learned as I've gone uh, with the podcast. I say that sheepishly at the moment because I've definitely leaned into the off season a little too hard and I haven't put out a new podcast <laughs> in maybe like a couple months, which is really bad to say. And I'm ashamed. I hope you guys will forgive me for that in the podcast world. Um, but no, I mean, look, it's just a fun, it's another, for me, like I look at it as like another, another voice, like, cause I can write stories. I can post stuff on social media. I can make videos. And the podcast is just another, another vehicle for that. Um, like, you know, a few, few days ago, they, the Panthers were down here having practices for their development can kids <clears throat> and they had a development tournament that they're doing right now, uh, outside of Raleigh. So what did I do? I had my recording device. I'm walking around the locker room. I'm just chatting up a few kids you know, uh, kids, you know, they're twice my size, um, but if you were the <laughs> development ki- camp kids and, you know, with the intent of, well, you know what, in the next week or so, I'm going to put this together. I'm going to make a little podcast. And that was, you know, I wanted, I was there. I wanted to do something. I knew I wasn't going to necessarily write a story about it, but this way it gave me just different options of ways to cover the team, uh, which I think is cool. It's something that, you know, we, we have nowadays. It's this opportunity where if, you know, we can write a story, I can make a video, I can make a podcast, whatever. And uh, it, it's cool. It gives me different, it allows me to be creative and not get like stuck into, I have to go to practice and write what, write a story. 
and, and back to my station, like they're, they're just kind of let me do it as I please, like whatever I want to do. So it, it, it's nice to have that kind of freedom and podcasting. Uh, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a learning process for sure. Yeah. Well, do you feel that with podcasting, you're more able to express an opinion or give your own personal thoughts where say on the news, it might be like, you might have a few bullet points of things you're going to talk about. Yeah, no, I, that's, it's, it's definitely more loosey goosey, which I think is part of what, uh, part of what draws me to liking podcasts. Something that as I've kind of, uh, matured in my hockey coverage, I try to put my opinions a little bit more out there, like in proper ways. But I feel like, you know, when you want something to set you apart and, you know, sometimes I think, well, I like to think that I'm pretty knowledgeable when it comes to hockey. It's something I've been watching and studying and playing for most of my life. And, you know, if you're following me when they're like, as you said, there's tons of podcasts out there. There's tons of people you can cover for hockey. If you're cover, if you're following me, maybe you like what I have to say. And I, I try to use that. And the podcast is certainly a great way to do it because like, as you said, it's a little bit more, I don't want to say informal, but in terms of like writing news articles or things in that vertical, you want to be a little bit more straightforward and just, you know, delivering the facts podcasts. You can have, you can do whatever you want They're They're so much fun. So you- uh, I de- definitely see that. Have you ever shocked a viewer that's come from, say, a local 10 to your podcast and they're like, oh, you're like this way on the news, but you're a lot more like laid back or otherwise on the podcast? No, I don't think so, because it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not like a, a news anchor or anything like that. Like I, I write news stories and, you know, I'll do interviews like this, but I think think it's pretty much just and and to be fair, I think a lot of the people that work at my station, like it's it's laid back in that everybody can be themselves on the air. Everybody can be down to earth on the air. They don't have to be like, you know, all straight backed and well tonight on the evening news, it's going to be, <laughs> you know, no, it's, that's one of the things that I really liked when I got hired by my station. Cause before that I was at a different TV station and for, you know, you're loyal or whatever. That's the one station I would watch. If I'm watching the news, if I'm watching local news, I'm going to watch my station. So when I switched and I, it was just, a, it was different you know, better, worse, whatever. It was different. And I really liked the fact that it was a little, in my opinion, uh, just a little, I don't want to say laid back, but just more relaxed. Like it's very still professional, but I think it gave people the opportunity to be themselves, whether it be grow out facial hair or wear, you know, a polo shirt instead of a suit and tie every day. Uh, So I think that was kind of a cool element of it for, from my station's perspective. So what you're saying is that if you were to grow a big Joe Thornton beard, your station would be like, "Ah, go for it. I would have to double check, but it, it's not an it's not an instant no that you would think for most places. I, I mean, granted that it'd be an adjustment period just growing it in, but um, yeah, that that's I don't know. I think I'd have to lose a bet before I uh, I went to my boss with that kind of a question. Right. Well, I think uh, the boss at home will probably have more questions than the boss at work. Oh yeah, my my wife was not a fan of November <laughs> uh, at all. Um. So yeah, for sure. Happy wife, happy life, right? You got to run by boss number one before you go to the boss at work. Now, one final question I do have about the podcast. Now, given that we are entering a new season, do you have anything in the works regarding, say, player interviews, more access with the coaches, anything with the team? Nothing specific, but I, but like going into the season, knowing that locker rooms are going to be open again, uh, that just kind of opens up a world of possibilities. That and the fact that I can record you know, podcast quality audio on an iPhone now. So when you really can have in your hand, the ability to kind of pop around and record the, the possibilities, you know, are 
I don't want to say endless because obviously the team is going to, you know, there's certain rules that they're going to have in place, but I think it's just going to be, it's just going to be fun to have, like, you know, just kind of what I was saying before you can open up your mind. Like the other day I was at practice. What do I do? Well, I'm going to record some audio and put a podcast together, just walking around the locker room. So I think in those regards, there'll be more options. I'm curious to how like the T it, it is from a team standpoint to what kind of access the teams provide. If they can just, you know, if it's loosey goosey, um, have at it like it used to be, or if there's going to be any kind of protocol from what I've experienced thus far with the Panthers, you know, just with the development camp, we haven't had the big guys yet. It was just open as it was pre COVID, which is exciting uh, just because I feel like there's going to be such greater, I don't want to say greater quality because the quality of what people have been doing throughout has been amazing, but I think you get more depth. You get a little bit more substance when you're able to speak to the players candidly in the locker room setting as we, as we used to, like, that's where a lot of the fun articles come from. That's where you find out about the nicknames and the dumb shit that they do when they're not at the rink. And, you know, oh, you're sampling this scotch or you guys played this golf course and this guy, you know, went crazy and wrote his golf club. It's just, that's the fun <laughs> stuff that you only hear. You're not going to get that on zoom. It's gotta be just chilled, laid back conversation. So I'm really looking forward to that and how that could kind of blur into a podcast element. Uh, it's, it's a fun thought for sure. Well, I don't know, even with shows like Spit and Checklets, you see just how loosey-goosey these NHL players yeah. can get. But I know even for us doing this podcast, like we've got a chance to chat with Brett Wallace, who used to work for TSN in Canada, and some of the people that have covered the team. And they said, yeah, in person, it is amazing talking to these guys because they'll be so candid with you. Maybe not on the record, they won't be super candid, but you know they'll be off, very candid off the air. Now, as much as I could sit here and talk about your podcast and your career in sports journalism, I feel it's time to turn attention to talk about last year's Florida Panthers team. Now, when we had Tall Wolf and Litterbox Cats on, I said that I could see the Panthers winning the division last season. I did not predict the Florida Panthers completely dominating everybody in their path, winning 58 games, only to barely squeak past Washington in the first round and being swept by Tampa Bay in the second round. When looking back on last year's team, could you ever have predicted the dominance the Florida Panthers had? No, I, you know, that there's no way that you can predict that kind of year. I mean, whether you're talking about the Panthers historically and just saying, oh, they're going to be a league best team. Well, okay. We haven't seen that in 30 years, but you know, go for it. Um, and, and even though like we had seen like what Bill Zito had done in the two years that he had been GM to that point, like he had built one hell of a team, the roster turnover was pretty ridiculous. When you think that even going into last year, there were only a handful of guys left from when he had started less than two years ago. And yet with all that change and all the turnover, the team just continued to get better and better. And then heading into last year, you wondered, you know, how much are they going to build on it? You add the element of a Sam Reinhart, you get an Aaron Eckblad back. And uh, I mean, the results are what you saw a team that was offensively dominant you, you had a ton of skill combined with a team that's whole basic mantra was puck possession and puck fluidity, moving the puck. And, you know, the result you saw was a lot of exciting hockey, you know, a lot of end to end hockey. The Panthers would finish way more rushes and finish way more scoring opportunities than almost everybody in the league. And that's the result you saw. They scored a ton of goals. Uh, I'm curious to see how it plays out this year, knowing that Paul Maurice is going to come in and he's already said, you know, we're going to tone it down a little bit. It's not going to be maybe as exciting giving up a few less chances, which would probably behoove the Panthers anyway, because they still have a ton of skill on their roster. Uh, they're not going to have a hard time scoring. So if they can, you know, clamp it down a bit only to their advantage, but yeah, last season was nuts. Uh, it was a lot of fun to cover. It was a lot of fun for the fans because they had never seen anything like that. You know, in all the years the Panthers have been around, I do think maybe you just, you know, put a little 
check on that, file it away for a rainy day, fun memories. But, you know, in terms of winning hockey, uh, I think they took a few more steps towards that just in terms of hiring a coach who understands, uh, you, you want to word it the right way, because I certainly think Andrew Burnett and his guys did a great job last year. Um, they built on what Joel Quinville had, which was this high flying team. But I think Paul Maurice maybe looks at what they could do last year, looks at some of the things they struggled with and says, we can fix this in house. And that's what I kind of expect to see uh, going into the season. Well, do you fear, do you think it's fair to say that the Panther fans are maybe a bit cautious coming into this year, given how well they did last season? Because you just look at some of the other Florida teams, most notably the Florida Marlins, where they had all the success only to not produce at all going forward. I mean, yeah, in terms of the fan base, uh, I think everybody's going to be cautious. It would be silly to be overconfident. I mean, look, confidence is fine. Like the Panthers coming into the season, they're going, it would be a shock if they don't a make the playoffs can contend for at least in the division for one of the top spots with Tampa and Toronto. And who knows, because this division, I'm super excited to see how this division plays out. Just Detroit got a lot better. Ottawa got a lot better. Uh, there there's excitement, you know, Montreal, you, you never know. Montreal can, you know, make something out of nothing and they've got a pretty decent squad put together. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how things play out in the division, but even with all the, you know, the increased skill, you know, probably some more competitiveness. I still think the Panthers should be one of the best teams in this division, should be one of the best teams in the league. Uh, certainly a top eight team in the Eastern Conference. It's just, uh, I, you know, I think kind of what to take away from the last several months for the Panthers is maybe they're not as good or as exciting of a regular season team. They should be a better playoff team. And I think that's kind of the goal and the direction that they're moving in. At least that's where they want to. No, that's really fair. Now, heading into this up, up, excuse me, heading into this upcoming season, the big storyline for the Florida Panthers is going to be the debut of the big acquisition for them, Matthew DeChuck from the Calgary Flames. And with Johnny Goudreau just stunning everybody by signing with Columbus, it became apparent that DeChuck was not going to stay in Calgary. He demanded a trade. The thing is, though, and I will, I've said this, I think I said it on the air, is that I did not see Florida being the team to get them because you thought, okay, maybe Dallas, maybe St. Louis, there was other markets, but Florida came out of nowhere and they gave up a lot. They gave up McKenzie Weger. They gave up Jonathan Huberto. They gave up a first round pick and then they signed them long-term in regards to the Chuck. What were your thoughts on the trade and the, the contract extension? I mean, look, it was a great trade. I think both sides maximized what they could. Yeah, you know, I think both sides walked away from that smiling for what, you know, for the situation that it was where you knew Kachuk was leaving Calgary. He wanted out. But Florida had to give a lot when you consider a Huberto and Weger were both uh, on expiring deals. The Panthers weren't going to be able to keep Mackenzie Weger anyway. This is something that, you know, I think we've all down here kind of agreed on to this point that they weren't going to be able to pay him what he was going to need. Uh, the cap situation is tight down here right now. And, you know, when you look at Huberto and you look at Kachuk, yes, Huberto, he's one of the best guys in the NHL right now. Amazing left winger, you know, great puck vision. He scored 100, what was 115 points last year, set a record for uh, left wingers with assists in NHL history. I mean, he's, you know, he's priming right now. This guy is peaking at 29 years old, but he's 29 years old. Matthew Kachuk, maybe not that far off from Huberto. If you want to even say Huberto is ahead of Kachuk at this point, you know, that's, personal opinion, but they're close enough to where you're comparing them right now. And Kachuk's five years younger. He signed eight years for cheaper than Huberto signed for in Calgary and what he would have signed for down here, I believe. And that's why I think 
Florida was comfortable giving up what they did. When you give up, yeah, you give up Huberto and Weeder on the and the contracts as we just discussed. You give up a top end prospect. You give up a first round pick. That's why the Panthers had to give that extra girth to the deal because they, you know, I think big picture in terms of like what's concrete, they may end up with with the better end up. You know, I, Calgary they've already locked up Huberto long term. He's going to be on that deal when he's in his late thirties. They're looking to do the same with Mackenzie Weeder. Um, and that's fine on that. From the Panthers' perspective, I think the Panthers made a really good trade. I think it, it should be good for both teams in the short term. And, uh, you know, you'll have to just see how it plays out. The Panthers are obviously in it right now to win right now. They've extinguished all their futures, whether it's draft picks, whether it's, you know, a very depleted-ish uh, prospect pool. Uh, there's not a lot of high-end prospect. You know, you know, you got like guys like Denisenko, Hepo Niemi, Sourdiff not a ton. So the Panthers right now are doing all this because they believe they have a team that they can win the Stanley cup, uh, how it plays out. You know, we'll see. When we're talking about the extension in general now, of course he only got 9.5 per year. I've always wanted to know because Florida doesn't have any income state tax. Do you feel that that's one of the big factors is why he signed for less than 10 million? Uh, I mean, it could be why the number was what it was. I think that's something that, you know, athletes uh, will teach. Again, this is, I don't know if this is specific to the situation, but it certainly happened in the past where guys will take a little bit less to come to Florida because a, they know that they're, it's not going to fend. They could take a a deal that's, you know, a million dollars less per season. It's not going to affect them on the back end, And then their team can go and use that extra salary cap money to, allocated elsewhere you've seen i mean you know speaking about the miami heat that we saw that that's what uh when and their big three-time guys were kind of moving around their contracts changing things up just so they can fit other guys in there um and I, again i don't know if that was part of the discussion with Kachuk. it wouldn't surprise me if it was um i do think though like i said that if uh the panther if this never would have happened and the panthers would have ended up extending jonathan huberto which they would have uh it would have been for a higher number um so again it could just be Kachuk had a number in mind him and his agent and the Panthers, they and the Panthers came to this agreement. It could be that he wanted to give his team a little flexibility. I, you know, I couldn't tell you, um, but I think the salary or the uh, the state income tax issue, uh, it's a major, major uh, advantage card for any Florida sports team to play. Yeah. Moving away from Matthew Kachuk to uh, a very funny Senators connection now with the Florida Panthers with five former Ottawa Senators, including <laughs> Anthony Duclair, Colin White, Rudolph Balsers, Michael Del Zotto and Chris Tierney. Do you think Bill Zito sees something in the way that the Senators pick players that he's like, those guys? <laughs> yeah, it certainly like appears that way. I, did you mention Colin White? I don't know if you I mentioned Colin White. Yeah. <clears throat> like it's, it's been an interesting off season and they almost, you know, they, they, for a second, it was like they were going to get the Hamburglar as well. Uh, before <laughs> he went to the KHL. So yeah, I, you know, at this point, I think, uh, at least for me, and I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people down here agree with me, but I have no reason to question Bill Zito to this point. It's a small sample size relatively, but really he has done a spectacular job and his, you know, his front office, you know, he's got some great guys up there with him. They have built a pretty impressive team. They bring in guys, whether it's, you know, at the front end of this, you know, you talk about guys like, Carter Verhage, Anthony Duclair, I mean, even Sam Bennett, uh, Gustav Forsling, Gus Forsling, um, players that, you know, they've really helped to bring up and uh, 
you know, E2 Oosterine is another one who was amazing last year, uh, fourth line center. So you wonder, is Colin White, is his career going to be resurged or whatever? But I mean, is he going to have a bump, you know, the former first round pick? You know, Nick Cousins is still just 29 years old. What's he going to do surrounded by the players that he's going to be surrounded by? Um, Balcares, another one, just 25. You know, when you put young players with skill around what the Panthers have done, I mean, look at what Anton Lindell did last year. Uh, that's another one. You know, the second-year center, the sky is the limit. You didn't even talk about him just because he was a third-line center. Basically, he could have been a top-six guy if he was on most teams. It's a very inductive like position when you're talking about the Panthers forward group, just because it's so interchangeable and, you know, there's a lot of skill, a lot of complementary skill. When mm-hmm. you talk about, I mean, you know, Huberto's gone now, but you still have Sasha Barkov. You still have Reinhardt, amazing playmakers, Trevor Hades, tenacity is off the charts. Lundell, his ice vision is comparable to Barkov. We call him baby Barkov down here last year. Um, so it, to, yeah, to answer your question, like I'm, I'd be surprised if at least one of these guys doesn't have a bump and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if two or three of them do just because we've seen it. It's not an original story to this point. It's happened multiple times. Well, given now that Matthew Duchuk is in the Atlantic division, is Ottawa, Florida going to be must-see television this year? I hope so. I mean, Kachuk Bowl 22, right? Like, let's get that started right away. Like, I so think we've been doing it for two years. Yep, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, and it's been super entertaining. And I mean, look, they, they I think um, they were all together, I think, when it, when it broke down, I think is what Matthew said. Like, the family was all together in St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. It's a couple months ago when we spoke about it. But, I mean, either way, like, just watching this, it's been a fun family, watching them kind of razz each other, watching, cheering each other on in the playoffs last year was awesome. With, um, with Brady out there uh, watching the Flames and being a big Flames fan, all that was really cool. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what makes it fun. And that's what, you know, we talked about it earlier, like, hockey players are just a different breed and when you can have a little bit more fun it, it just makes it more inclusive for the fans they can get more into it it feels more person personal and when you're like oh yeah this guy's an idiot with his brother just like i am like <laughs> it, it's fun so yeah I, I hope that we get kachuk bull i you know i hope that there's more rivalries i you know with in between the the divisional teams uh i think you know because last year it was so top heavy right like you had four pretty darn good teams and then kind of dropped off after that. So let's mix it up a little bit more as somebody who covered a team that was on the bottom end of that spectrum for a long time. You know, let's, let's keep it a little bit more even and the cream will rise to the top. Yeah. I do got to ask what Matthew did check. Cause he threw out the first pitch of the Marlins game the other night. <laughs> was that one of the most awkward first pitches you've ever seen in your life? No, I, I honestly, I think most first pitches are pretty awkward and cringe worthy. It's rare when there's like a really good one, just because, you know, it's usually not somebody who's, you know, sometimes you get an athlete up there, you know, just somebody who's been, you know, athletic in their life. But for the most part, you know, it's just, it's, it's a little different. And then also it's, you know, you're in a weird situation. You're on a, you're on this mound of dirt that you, why am I throwing off this thing off the ground? There's just a lot of reasons that, that they can go wrong. So I wasn't surprised at all. I just like, just get it over the plate, you know, just don't fall. Like my bar for first pitches is extremely low. Yeah. Well, at least, at least the bar is not at, was it Mariah Carey, which is just kind of, yeah, noodle. Well, no, that, that's why the bar is so low because yeah. like you see something like that. And while it's shocking in that, oh my God, the ball is dribbling. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm down here. We, I mean, you know, this is the place where Randy Johnson broke a car window while throwing warm up pitches. Uh, what? <laughs> oh yeah. If you find it on YouTube there, Randy Johnson was throwing his warm up pitches threw one wild just as a truck was driving by home plate. Like the timing was perfect. 
Was this like a yeah. spring training thing or was this at a game? No, no, this was at, you know, the old Joe Robbie stadium or whatever it was called at the time, back when the Marlins were playing there, they, you know, in between innings, you get a, you know, local Ford dealership or whatever advertising their truck. So they drive it around the, the border of the field and the timing just was perfect. And yeah, I mean, this is the same pitcher who killed a bird in mid flight with it. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it can't, if anybody could do it, it was Randy. Well, yeah, all six foot 10 of them. It's not surprising. Now, one guy I do want to talk about here is Jonathan Huberto, because, you know, the Florida Panthers, for as long as they've been around, you don't really, they don't really have a, many players that you would think of as being like superstars or great. I do want to get your take on this because I'm of the belief Jonathan Huberto is the greatest Florida Panther of all time. That's including Ole Okunin and Thomas Volkun and even, say, a Pavel Murray. Is that something that you would agree with? He he's up there. He might not be better than Sasha Barkov. Like when you talk about in terms of like, and and that's no knock on Jonathan Huberto at all. He's an amazing player, but so is Sasha Barkov. They might be, they might be the two best. I mean, Beret, you know, he was down here for such a short period of time and, you know, some electric years, you know, two fifty fifty eight 58 goal season or 57 and 58 or whatever it was like, it was pretty amazing. And that's at the at the time, we'd never seen anything like that. Uh, and, you know, back then it was rare when guys were scoring that many goals in the late 90s, early 2000s. The thing is with with Hubie, we've seen him grow, excuse me, like just like with, with Barkov, just like with Ekblad, they were all drafted. We, we, you know, I say we collectively South Florida sports observers, fans and media, we've watched them come up from young pups to, you know, try getting their first taste of the playoffs to now you know, leaders, men, superstars in this league. You know, you could argue that all three of them are superstars in this league. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Ekblad, or excuse me, Huberto would probably be on the Panthers Mount Rushmore in terms of best players. Um, you know, that's an argument because, well, you know, most important players, you know, how do you want to build your Mount Rushmore? That's for another podcast. But um, Jonathan Huberto, I mean, certainly, you know, he's he's one of the best players in the NHL right now. And that's an NHL that includes players like Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. And he's right up there, you know, in that t- conversation as with the best guys in the league. Here you ask me, is he the best Panther of all time? The first, My first thought as well, is he the best Panther from last year's team? Just because Sasha Barkov is so special. And I still think even with the exposure the Panthers have gotten in recent years that he's not appreciated at all. You've like, for the people who get to watch him game in and game out and just see how easy he makes some of the most amazingly difficult things it's it's special and i mean i think you can hear it in my voice i think if i had to i'd lean towards barkov um but again it's you know it's like asking you know halle berry or mariah carey you know like you were the hottest women in the world or whatever you know it's all subjective but i mean just you know either way you got there's no wrong answer because they're both so good but it's it's a tough one it's a good question but it's a really tough one answer as you can see do you think Huberto would have gotten the nod because he's the one that has the teal Lamborghini? Again, it, it depends on what kind of car guy you are to be honest. I mean, you know, if you're more of a, you know, a muscle American car guy, then I don't, you know, Barkov is more, he likes his uh, SUVs. I know he likes his Range Rover, uh, but Barkov also had the long drive, but Hubie loves his sports cars and he's been, he's been rotating through the, the last few years, some nice ones. So we'll see. I know that his teammates love the, the, uh, the Lamborghini or the Lamborghini. We call it the Lamborghini. Cause you know, we got Ryan Lombard down here. I think that's another, uh, it's another subjective one. Fair enough. Have you been a witness to the Lamborghini before? I've seen it once. And that was just because I, when I, I parked in the player's parking lot one day when I should have, uh, there was some of there was something going on at the rink. We were there for a morning skate. There was some 
like cycling event happening in the parking lot. I don't know. They pointed me to there to the lot. I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, yeah, go in there. And then I got in there and I'm like, well, these are some nice cars. And so that, that was the only time I got to see it in person. No, actually, I take it back. I did see him pull out one day. Now that I think about it, I did see him pulling out when I was in the media lot. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they're allowed to have nice cars. It's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, you're getting paid, you know, how many millions of dollars every year? You might as well spend it, right? And he's yeah. got the right idea, too. I got to tell you, because he, instead of just buying one super nice car and just like, that's your car, like he, you know, for, like one year he had, what it, uh, he had like a, uh, the Maserati or something before he had the Lamborghini or the Lamborghini. It's, it's like subconscious. And, and like, I remember asking him about it in an interview last year. And he's like, yeah, you know, I did something different this year. And if you can, you know, experience the, the taste of a different one, you know, maybe do like, uh, what's left on the, he's got a Ducati, you know, Ducati's motorcycles. I don't know. I, I, I drive a Honda. So I, this is like out of my, out of my realm in terms of like the fancy cars. Fair enough. <laughs> now outside of the Chuck trade, the other big storyline for Florida this season will be the goalie battle between Sergei Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight. Now coming into last season, it was very much up in the air whether Bobrovsky or Knight were going to be the number one goaltender. However, strong performances by both last season has again made the number one starting job very much up for grabs. Now coming into it, like who can you see being the Florida Panthers number one goalie this year? Oh, I would expect, you know, at least from the beginning that the the plan will probably, you know, barring an injury or, you know, Sergey Bobrovsky looking like crap in the preseason, which I, you know, training camp, which I perfectly, or which I definitely do not expect. I think will, the, the expectation would be a similar uh, share to last year where it's like a 60-30 type deal. Um, obviously with Bob, you know, he's 33 now. I wouldn't say the expectation should be there that he's going to pick up where he left off last year just because, you know, look, this is, he's had three years in Florida. The first two were shaky. The first one was was rough. The second one was eh, a little bit better. Last year, as the year went on, he got better and better. I mean, he came out really good at the beginning of the year, had a little lull in the in the middle, finished strong. Um, I, you know, what I always say with Bob is what I look for um, is, A, is he not letting up cheap goals? Is he not letting up easy goals? Because that was a very frustrating element of his first couple of years in South Florida. And B, is he making the unexpected saves? Is he making those game-saving saves that an elite goaltender should be making the majority of the time? Uh, last year, it all came together for him very well. He was not giving up crappy goals. He was making great saves. He was shutting down odd man rushes. Uh, he's challenging more than we'd seen him do his first two years. Uh, so if we can see that continue the season, then I would expect that to continue in terms of uh, the like two to one, essentially timeshare, because again, with Spencer Knight, he's just 21 years old. Yes. We've seen him around now. This is going to be his third season that we've seen him in the NHL. He got a little taste of it two years ago. Last year was his first full year, but I don't think there's any rush to make it because he's still so young. He's learning from Sergey Bobrovsky. And again, you've got two solid goaltenders. Uh, I think if Spencer Knight goes out there and he catches fire, and suddenly, you know, he's playing three, four games where he's, you know, giving up one goal, no goals, picking up shutouts. I think if his play warrants, then maybe the share will even out a bit. I think that'll kind of depend more on night than anything else, just because I've seen with Bob's struggle, uh, the more he gets out there, the easier it is for him to come out of any funk that he might have. And that's been throughout his career, not just his time as for in time, excuse me, his time in Florida. But I would think just in terms, unless Bob falls off a cliff, which I don't think he will. I mean, we all know he's an amazing work ethic. Um, so unless that happens, I would think that it's going to be up tonight to earn himself a little bit more playing time, but I, you know, I see a lot of, you know, fantasy guys calling Spencer Knight a potential sleeper and, uh, you know, looking at him as somebody that can have a breakout season. I think Bob is going to get the benefit of the doubt more times than not in terms of who's going to get, who's going to be the starter. Um, 
the, the might there be an opportunity? Yes. I just don't think it's as an, a bit of an expectation that some others might at this point. Um, again, it, it all just comes down to play. I think, you know, as long as they're both playing as they should be, Bob's going to probably get 55, 60 starts in that realm and Spencer and I will get 25, 30. I think that's what they would shoot for. Um, but again, if Spencer Knight goes out there and he's playing uh, gangbusters, he'll earn himself more playing time. Fair enough. Now, as you mentioned, you know, say if Sergey Bobrovsky's game regresses next season, or sorry, this upcoming season, given that he is making 10 million bucks a year, like where do you see Bill Zito going with that? Do they keep playing Bob at that point or do they potentially maybe move him? Yeah, I mean, well, starting this year, he's got four years left at 10 million each. Um, and I, I mean, look, if Bob's playing bad, I mean, it's not like Bill Zito can just say, hey, who wants my $10 million playing goal to any, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be like, yeah, can Bill Zito work some magic? I mean, I'm sure there's always bad teams willing to take on average players with big contracts because they're bad and they know they can have that salary cap space, you know, things like that might be a possibility down the line. There, there's a, a certain playbook that you see general managers kind of have to adhere to when they're dealing with contracts with a player with a big contract who's not meeting those expectations. And those are, you know, some plays that the Panthers may have to have to consider running in the coming years. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of when does it happen? You know, as I said, Bob's third, 33 years old going into the season, most goalies start really kind of teetering off when he gets towards the, the, the early to mid thirties. It's rare when you see a guy like, you know, Marty Brodeur, or, or Craig you know, Anderson, Tukaras, Craig Anderson, like, you know, two or three every decade where you see a guy who can really, you know, Mike Smith, God love him. I'm out there in Edmonton. Um, so could Bob be one of those guys? Sure. What? Yeah. He, he has the work ethic. He keeps himself in great shape. So, you know, it's, it's not inconceivable that he might be able to maintain. Uh, I think right now you just got to kind of take it year by year, just because it's such a big contract. Uh, they're fortunate that they're going to probably be able to get Spencer Knight on a you know relatively decent price. And getting back to the whole playing thing, uh, if Spencer Knight goes out there and has a ridiculous year, this is year three of his ELC. So they've also got to think about whether you know you're getting him RFA, but how cheap is that going to come if he goes out there and goes crazy this year? So there's a lot to think about in terms of the goaltending situation that I think ultimately they'll be happy if it's like, okay, they're both playing well, so we can keep Bob as the starter and keep nurturing night and go down that route. And Tim, I would like to bring up that former Florida Panther, Craig Anderson, you forgot. To exactly. Make yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So oh, yeah. David, we've had a real great time chatting for Panthers hockey with you and we would like to extend an invite, you know, cause we do have to chuck pull this season. Maybe one of these games, we'll have to try and get you on the podcast. Now, before we head off for today, first of all, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find the podcast chirping the cats? Yep. No, and, and again, thank you so much for having me. Awesome chat. You can find me on social media at David Dwork, uh, D W O R K. I'm on Twitter, you know, all my, you know, my daily coverage of the cats. A lot of it goes on there. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I mean, that's just me, you know, and my family. So I'm out there if you, you know, if you're curious, like if I'm a practice or whatever, um, and then the Chirping the Cats podcast is just wherever you find your podcast. Search Chirping the Cats. It's a big red letter C. Can't miss it. And uh, if you see a big red letter C that hasn't been updated in about two months, then you found the right podcast. <laughs> and again, I apologize. Perfect. Now, the last thing we got to ask is how do you see the Florida Panthers finishing the 2022-23 season? Uh, Stanley Cup. 
obviously. Really? Spicy. I like it. No, no, we go for spice. No, I look. I where do I see them finishing? I mean, I hopefully they can get past the second round this year. I think anything anything less than that's a disappointment, and really, you know, not living up to the the roster they built and the expectations that they've uh, built for themselves. This is a team that you know, obviously, barring any crazy injuries, but they're, you know, yeah, they lost their the guys they picked up at the deadline last year. You know, Drew's gone, Sherratt's gone. Weeder's gone, Ekblad's gone, and people are looking at those big minuses and thinking, well, how could this team maintain? Well, take a look at what's still on the roster because it's still damn good, full of excellent players. And, you know, you're bringing in a coach in Paul Maurice. This is somebody who's also pretty damn hungry to win. This is somebody who's been around the league for a couple of decades. He's taken one team to the final. He's been to a few Western Conference finals. He's hungry to win too. So there's a lot of untapped desire and potential with this Panthers team. Uh, we've seen how well they are off the ice and how that blossoms into something. I think Paul Maurice being a player's coach in the terms that he gets along great with guys that aren't ego guys and the Panthers have zero egos on their team. So, uh, it looks to me like a recipe for success. Obviously you got to put the ingredients together, put it in the oven and see how it works. I think that they're set up to succeed. And again, I, I'm, I think the goal at this point would be at least a conference final berth. Presenting the Tampa Bay Lightning is a staff writer for the fan-sided blog, Bolts by the Bay. Please welcome to the show, Noah Wilson. Noah, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Yeah, it's going pretty well. Been a pretty relaxing day, so nice to not have any of that stress before doing this. So, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. You know, because a lot of stress coming into a podcast, it's always tough. And I mean, Tim and I have been doing the show for years, so we know it firsthand. But we are super excited to have you on the show, Noah, because one of the great things about doing this podcast, whenever we get a chance to work with somebody new, is we take a few minutes to get to know them a little bit better. Now, one of the things that I always love hearing, whether it's in person or I meet somebody on the street or even through this podcast, is how somebody became a fan of the team they cheer for. Now, in your case, I would love to know how you became a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, given that you are, in fact, from the state of the newest NHL franchise. Yeah, no, I live in Washington State, so I'm as far from Tampa as you can possibly be. And, you know, at the time that I started watching, I was around, uh, I was pretty young, it was 2008. So around six years old at the time. And I was living in Texas, but when I started watching, I was actually in British Columbia because I'm half Canadian. I have a lot of Canadian family in Vancouver. So my family was watching just hockey on the TV, any game that was on. And it was a lightning versus stars game. I believe it started that the Blackhawks. And I saw the logo. I loved the 2008 logo. Just that it's so beautiful. One of my favorite logos of any team. And I was like, I like that logo. And my grandpa told me, yeah, it's a Tampa Bay lightning. They actually have a really good player that's on the team now. And I was like, oh, cool. I just kind of stuck with them from then on. When I was younger, you know, I couldn't look up everything. And my mom was always watching the Canucks, the Predators game. So I couldn't watch too much back then. But after, you know, when I was 10, I started watching a lot more. And yeah, I've been watching them ever since. It's a weird story. I've told people that before. But it's also really interesting because most Lightning fans come from Tampa area. Tampa or Miami. 
So having a kid from some small Texas town who moved to Washington training for Lightning, it's, it's kind of odd. <laughs> now, I do want to ask, given that you are a Lightning fan and you live in Washington State, did you come up to Vancouver to watch the Lightning play the Canucks last season? I did not, actually. Um, I went to Climate Pledge to watch. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah, I want. I I told my fiance I wanted to go see the Kraken during their inaugural season. I love the Kraken, I love the Canucks and the Kraken, so I was fine with either one. But um, I decided might as well see the Lightning. You know, defending Cup champs at the time, and you know all my favorite players are on there. You know, Stamkos has been my favorite for years. Um, love Kucherov. I have my Point jersey on right now. Of course, I think. Yeah, Point wasn't injured then, so I got to watch Point. So nice. that was nice. But yeah, all my favorite players and even on the crack and getting to see Gord score goal was a dream come true because I've oh my I love Gord. <laughs> but he's so, a very good player. Yeah. yeah. What does the new renovated climate pedge uh formerly the key arena look like on the inside? It is it as nice as the pictures show, or is it uh just a very beautiful modern stadium? It is so the location kind of sucks. I will say that the location is really bad for the arena. You have to take a sky train over there and it's kind of ugly around there, but the inside is beautiful. You can tell it's all renovated. They have all these things that they have a lot of greenery inside and they have all these things talking about why it's called climate pledge and how they're trying to be zero carbon emissions by 2030. I think it is. So it's really interesting. Um, and I was surprised to see a lot of Lightning fans from Tampa in the arena. Um, I got to talk with a few of them. They're like, yeah, this is this is really beautiful. One of the best arenas we've ever been to. Because a lot of people like to go to different arenas. Um, I didn't know that was a big thing until I started watching the hockey guy on YouTube. And he was talking about how he does that. So I'll go to different arenas if he's in the area. So very beautiful arena. Um, I would go there. Again, I'd pay any amount to go back. Yeah. Well, that's high endorsement. <laughs> well, I yeah. was say, Noah, though, I do got to kind of disagree with you about the location of Climate Pledge because I was recently in Seattle this back in August. And I think it's, I would say that surrounding area is not as bad as people give it credit for. I think it's in a perfect location because it would have been worse if it was down in Soto where Lumen Field and T Mobile is because that's a really bad area of Seattle. But I think Climate Pledge is a really Great spot. Now, one thing I do want to ask, given that you did mention Stamkos and being from BC, did you happen to know that Victoria, BC hosted the Lightning's training camp in 2008? I did not know that, no. Uh, when I started watching, it was like halfway through the season. It was when Stamkos had his – it wasn't a good rookie season by <clears throat> any any standard. It reminds me of Lafreniere's rookie season a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I never knew that. I never knew they did that in Victoria. Because that's yeah. not far at all from Vancouver. It's not. Well, the reason why they did that is because back then, that was when, but this is before the Lightning had their current ownership, but they were owned by Len Berry, the father of Tyson Berry, who's out of yeah. Victoria. So he, I think he owned part of the Victoria Grizzlies junior team. He had the Lightning, so they had it at the arena. Now, another thing I love learning about, about our guests when we started this podcast is how they came to write for the blog they are with. Now, as I said off the top, you were currently a staff writer for Fansite at Bolts by the Bay. So I'd love to hear from yourself. How did you come to write for the site? Yeah, so I've always been interested in writing. I've been writing since I was probably in middle school doing creative writing. And, you know, I love I love hockey. Been pretty 
think it's pretty obvious with me writing for Bolts by the Bay. And I actually did not first um, sign up for Bolts by the Bay because at the time they weren't available to write for. They were all filled out. So I actually did the Rangers because pretty big fan of the Rangers. I've loved their team. I think they're like the third team I really started cheering for um, when I started watching hockey. So I wanted to write for them. I missed the email where they actually accepted me into the position. Um, I found it about six months later after I got my um, email for Bolts by the Bay because they got an opening, people um, left or somebody left and I was able to take over. And yeah, I saw the email for the Rangers one um, with that email. So I completely missed that, but I'm kind of glad that I did because I really like writing for Bolts by the Bay. If you've seen our Twitter account, the site manager is the one who tweeted, I had this feeling about Nick Paul tonight. And it was during game seven of round one. So that was that was pretty funny. We talked about that for a bit. But yeah, no, I love writing for them. It's been great. They're very supportive and they understand like I work some really bad hours. So they've understood when I can't write for all the, you know, post-game articles and all that pre-game articles because I get so busy and being on the West Coast. It, it gets really tough because when the game's on, you're already working or about to finish work. It's just like 4 p.m. where where we live. So it's it gets difficult because I try watching all the games, but being a caregiver, your schedule is kind of eh. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that's a very honorable job. Now, the one thing I did, we you actually didn't mention off the top is that you host your own podcast, correct? Yeah, I do. Um, I've actually done it a couple times i had one called icebreakers that did not work out i kind of gave up on that pretty quickly because i was that was during the 2021 playoffs and i just got tired but i've been doing nurse talks hockey for a few months now i've been kind of slow with it because i've been working a lot and you know i'm not gaining a lot of viewers from it because i have my own instagram account that has about 1800 followers and I'll post them in my story. They don't really care. So <laughs> um, I, yeah, I haven't gotten much stuff from it, but I enjoy doing it. So I just keep doing it. It's more for fun right now than really trying to gain an audience. But yeah, I'm hoping to keep up with it. And I made myself a logo in like five minutes that I think is pretty cool. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty fun to do it um but yeah it's been kind of slow so haven't really done many episodes lately so let's talk about the 2021-22 tampa bay lightning for a second now coming into last season the lightning were back-to-back defending stanley cup champions on their path to a third and when they came into the playoffs despite having a very successful regular season it was very evident right from the start. Tampa was completely out of gas with Vasilevsky kicking, dragging the kicking and screaming to the Stanley Cup Finals where they would lose to Colorado in six games. With all that being said, though, I'd like to get your thoughts on what you thought of the 2021-22 Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, so before the season started, um, I told people that I talked to about hockey and my fiance, I was like, the Lightning are not winning another cup. That'd be a miracle if they win another cup with how many games they've played. and I was right. I I thought we were going to be probably second round exits because of how much we've played. But, you know, with losing our third line, 
I was actually really impressed by how he did in the playoffs. Regular season is a different story, but it doesn't really matter in the regular season as long as you make the playoffs. But a lot of people are really overdramatic online. Like when we lost, I think it was like six in a row at one point. They're like, oh, we were so bad. And we went to that wild card spot and they're like, oh, we're going to miss the playoffs. Detroit's going to take our spot for some reason. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not going to happen. I, I know the Lightning are not going to let that happen. I did get worried about Vasilevsky for a while because he was actually pulled from a game against Toronto when Matthew scored his hat trick. And I was worried because I thought he was hurt. Um, he's played so much that I would not be surprised if he was hurt, but apparently he wasn't. He was just tired. But heading into the playoffs, going against Toronto, I was worried. I was really worried because they have such a, an amazing top line and their defense is really underrated. So I was kind of scared. They really wanted to win around, but um, didn't happen. And we somehow made it to the finals. And despite losing the finals, I still think it was the most successful season we could have had. And I think with if you don't think about the Cups from 2020 and 2021, we were a lot more success, successful this season just because we lost so much of our team. And we still somehow are able to make up for that with acquiring Nick Paul, Brendan Hagel, and um, picking up Corey Perry, Bellamar, and Elliott in free agency. It worked. It worked really well. And it was, it was a shock. Um, reminds me of Colorado. You know, they picked up um, Arturi Lekkonen and that worked out amazing for them. <laughs> so yeah, um, definitely a very successful season. Three finals in a row hasn't been done and I don't think it's happened in the salary cap era. So pretty successful, I would say. I was going to say, I think the last time it happened was actually in the early 1980s with the Islanders. Now, when talking about last season, one of the things that Tim and I were very excited about in the playoffs, the second round matchup, the second straight year of Tampa versus Florida. And I got to say, I don't know how you felt about it. I just felt it was a real bust because I was expecting a real great series and Florida just got swept. Yeah, I think we outscored 11 to three and I was so bored. You know, I cried afterwards because we beat the Penguins record because um, they held the salary cap record for most series wins mm -hmm. at, I think it was 10 or no, it was like 12 or 13. I don't, I cannot remember for the life of me. I guess, no, it's nine. Sorry. Ah, but yeah, when we won, I was really happy, but the games were boring. You know, I love seeing my team win. Back in 2019, or I guess it was beginning of 2020, watching the Lightning win 9-3 against the Canucks. I loved seeing that. But it was also kind of boring, just having it be just flat-out dominance. And with the Florida team that had a top six better than any other teams, I was kind of expecting a lot more from them. I was worried heading into the second round, and then we swept them. So I was really disappointed. And I'm hoping... You know, I don't have any like big hate towards Florida. You know, I've always respected them. I've always just, I've respected the way they've built their team because it's been a really long journey for them. And they're finally successful after that Stanley Cup run back in 96, I think it was. So, you know, I felt bad for them. I was disappointed. I'm hoping they do better this season because, like I said, I, I don't have any hate towards them. Um, I've always respected them for what they've been able to do despite being such a low interest team. 
So I'm very interested, given that you were a Tampa fan. Now, you said you don't have any hatred towards Florida. Who is the team that you would have the hatred towards? Chicago. Um, I've disliked Chicago for as long as I can remember. It was really bad coming in. I think it was 21 season when all the – it was either this season or last season when the scandals came out. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when I really just grew a deep hatred for – the Blackhawks, they were always like a bottom team for me. Boston as well with Vancouver losing in 2011 and causing a riot when we were in Vancouver. <laughs> but um, yeah, Blackhawks are down there. Um, I have more respect for the Bruins now. I think I can really only think the Blackhawks that I really dislike that and the Islanders. Islanders just have a really annoying fan base, which is the only reason why I don't have much of a like for the Islanders. Their fan I base think- is just really rude. <laughs> I've never interacted with any Islanders fans to really think of it. So I just don't really have an opinion on that. So I'm kind of surprised to hear that. Yeah. I, with my Instagram account, it's some just like joke account that I made. And um, I got a lot of like messages from Islanders fans when I made a joke about them. And that kind of just got me to like them less and less. Cause my mom loved the Islanders. Um, she loved them way more than the Rangers by a long shot. So for a while, I was a fan of the Islanders. I was a fan of what they were doing. John Tavares, and they had Matty Bar- Matthew Barzell come in, I think it was 2017. I liked them, but after, after the two Eastern Conference finals, it got to the point where it's like, I don't really want to like them with the way they can face it. <laughs> um, fair enough, fair enough. So, yeah, but Chicago's definitely the bottom one. Not just because of what happened um, this year, but I just never really liked them. I don't know why, <laughs> but yeah, 2015 didn't help. But even before that, I just didn't really care for them. So over the past couple of seasons, the Tampa Bay Lightning became the gold standard to which all NHL teams are measured to back-to-back Stanley Cups and three straight finals appearances. Given how gassed they looked in the playoffs last year, I, I know fans will probably be wondering if Father Thomas finally caught up with the Tampa Bay Lightning with all that being said, after all this success and everything they've gone through, where do the Tampa Bay Lightning go from here? You know, I think we're just in win-now mode. We have to be in win-now mode. Um, we don't really have much of a future. Um, as I said before we started, I was making sure I knew like what prospects I wanted to talk about because I pay attention to a lot of teams. And, you know, we have some interesting players that are in our system. Hugo Alnefeld, who I think had a nine goals against um, this season with the lightning after COVID really hit us hard against the Panthers. And yeah, on the felt definitely like a really solid goaltender prospect. Um, really like him. We have Jack Finley, who's a great physical forward. Um, he's on the Spokane chiefs, which is how I know him know about him so well. So I've, you know, my, one of my clients that I do caregiving for, he loves the chiefs. He loves, all the players in the Chiefs. So he was like, yeah, I really like Jack Finley and Bear Hughes. And it's like, oh, that's that's cool. But um, yeah, Isaac Howard, I'm excited for him. He was one of the best players in the U.S. development system this season. And I was surprised we got him so early. I was hoping we would get Matthew Savoy, I think it was, who dropped so far. It's hard to remember. Um, but I oh, know it was Brad Lambert. Sorry, not Savoy. It was Lambert when he dropped to 20 or no, he dropped to like 30th or something like that. We were one pick away from getting him. 
and we didn't, but we got Howard. So that's good enough for me. But yeah, we don't have much of a future. We do have young players, though. Um, Sorelli is still pretty young. I think he's like 26 or something like that. Point's still pretty young. Um, Hagel's young, and I have a lot of hope for Hagel. Despite the really bad season with Tampa, I do think that he'll get better. You know, scoring 30 goals on Chicago in Chicago was impressive because it's Chicago. They weren't good. And I think just the stress of being on a team that's competing for a for another cup kind of gets to a player. Um, I think we saw that happen with David Savard in, in the um, 21 cup run. But Nick Paul's getting on the other side, I think is 27 or 28. So, you know, we have him for a while, but, you know, looking into the next five years, just win now. After that, we can focus on, you know, rebuilding the team. I'm fine going through a rebuild at some point. I love paying attention to rebuilds. Um, Arizona's especially <laughs> the eternal <So>, rebuild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have no issue with our future. You know, if we win another cup, I'll be happy. Um, we've been spoiled enough as lightning fans. I don't want to be like Pittsburgh where we're constantly making the playoffs just to fail because oh, the old Detroit model. Yeah. You know, I think making the playoffs and losing in the playoffs hurts a, a lot more than rebuilding yeah so well, could, i was gonna say could tampa bay fans at least come to the realization like it, say you don't win that third cup could you guys settle with just having the back-to-back i definitely would i mean it's rare for your team to win back-to-back cups we don't see it often and last thing to do it pittsburgh that pittsburgh team was really good um, we never got to see the Chicago dynasty do it. Um, they just won three in five years. So knowing that there's only two teams that have done it is really special. Making three and finals that Pittsburgh really almost didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, ripped, we almost took... ripped that overtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, Tampa arguably has had one of the most successful teams in the last eight years, I'd say. Maybe not eight, but seven years making the Eastern conference finals six out of the last eight times and making the finals. I think it's been four times now in those since 2015, you couldn't ask for anything more when you're a fan of a team, you know, you're a Seahawks fan. Um, We saw the Seahawks almost become a dynasty, but the famous interception that we see in every compilation, um, Every design. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, I, I'm a Texas Rangers fan for baseball. I've never felt happiness as a Rangers fan for baseball. Um, Seahawks, I felt happiness, but Tampa's just, it's been really special. Um, being able to watch this team grow since, you know, picking up Kucherov was probably the biggest thing because nobody really thought that he was going to turn into the player he was until it happened. And it happened. It didn't take super long for it to happen, but you know, it always takes players a bit, but yeah, you know, two cups with one of the best cores that we'll see in a while. I'm pretty happy about that. I'm not going to complain if we don't win another one. You know, I really want to get that. I really want to get that dynasty, but it's not the most important thing to me. What's important to me is making sure that, you know, we don't just waste the careers 
of players, and we haven't done that. I mean, our core has two cups now and four finals appearances for the most part. So, yeah, um, I cannot ask for a, a luckier string of events for modern day sports. Yeah. Well, well although Corey, Corey Perry, Perry does, does go down, down with the ignobility of completing the Mar- the Marion Hosa hat trick of three Stanley Cup finals in a row on the losing end. Yeah. After we lost, I was like, you know, I don't really like Perry anymore. I don't like him <laughs> on the team. You know, I don't like Corey Perry. I don't think a lot of people like Corey Perry, but he's one of those players that you hate, but you love to have on your team. That's he's true. Like, He's the definition of that. I know Tom Wilson can be said for that, but he played really well for us. Perry did, so I'm not going to complain. But yeah, we had a miracle on our team in Maroon. We had a curse, and it seems like the curse won. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, you know, with the finals, we only added a few players who don't have cups. Um, Perry has a cup, one or two. I can't remember. I think it's just the one. Yeah, um, Bellamar doesn't have a cup, and he is probably the most deserving player to have a cup. He's such a wholesome player that he needs one. And then Elliot. Elliot doesn't have a cup, I believe. Or Nick Paul. Yeah, Nick Paul doesn't either, because he's been on the Sens for the entirety of his NHL career. Yeah. Funny, we um, got him from Dallas, so. <laughs> oh. oh, I thought. He came in the Spezza trade. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I know he's been on the Sens for a long time. I just always see him as like a Sens player. So, yeah. Yeah. But, Actually, well, given we were just talking about Nick Paul, let's talk about his extension for a second because the Lightning this past offseason saw them re signing some of their big guys like Mikhail Sergeyev and Anthony Shirelli. However, for us being Ottawa fans, the Nick Paul extension was one that we really wanted to highlight here. Now, in regards to, to Nick Paul itself, like, Honestly, I want to get your thoughts on what your thoughts of him as a player and his extension. He's been great for us. He had his best season in Tampa. I was looking at his stats just earlier, and his points per game compared to what it was in Ottawa, a lot better than I thought it would be. You know, we picked up Nick Paul. I never thought he was going to make that big of an impact, but he helped us all the way through. Um, Regular season doesn't matter. The playoffs is what matters, and he really stepped up his game. For a player that has never made a finals. It's impressive the way he played in the playoffs. And that was the one thing all of us Lightning fans were wanting was a Nick Paul extension bat and Andre Pilat, which did not happen. So seeing Paul extended for, you know, I, it is a long-term, but it's also not going to hurt the cap as bad as we were expecting, you know, I was hoping for like a 2.5 for three years, that sort of thing. Just like another trial run to make sure, you know, this is what the, the future of the Lightning wants. We want Nick Paul to help us try and get another cup. And, you know, seven years is fine with me. I love Nick Paul. I'll probably get a Nick Paul jersey at some point. I, I love the guy. But, um, yeah, you know, the cost of losing Palat hurts. And losing McDonough that was that was really painful because I loved McDonough on the Rangers too. But yeah, I love Nick Paul. I'm glad that we got him extended. I'm happy to have at least one player extended that I really wanted to stay on the team. I think Lightning fans kind of knew McDonough was on his way out with how with how his contract is. 
we weren't expecting Palat as much. We thought we could get that done. But after the Hagel trade, we kind of just assumed, okay, that might be the end for Palat. And yeah, looks like it was, but we got Paul back. And it's going to help the cap a lot. We've been in cap. We've had cap issues for years. It's been years. Oh, um, yeah. I totally remember all the cap, you know, all the cap stuff from the manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. From their yeah. cap runs. But I, now we're talking about Nick Paul. Of course, when Ottawa traded him to Tampa Bay, Matthew Joseph came back. Now, for Senators fans, we've been very happy with Matthew Joseph in a short sample size that he has. Now, given that he's coming into his first full season in Ottawa, can you please let our listeners and some Suns fans know what to expect from Matthew Joseph? Expect a player who's extremely underrated. He played on one of the best forwards, forward groups um, that we've seen in years. The bottom six for Tampa during the first, during the two cup runs was amazing. You've seen Gord really shine in, um, in Seattle. And he's a big example. You know, Goodrow's played pretty well when he's healthy in New York. Um, Coleman's been a very solid depth piece for, for Calgary. But with Matthew Joseph, I've always loved Joseph. He's been one of my favorite players for a long time. You know, everybody has that random player they really like, and it's been Joseph for me. Um, even when he was getting cut from the lineup, I still really loved the way he played, and I knew he had a really bright future. I was really upset when we lost him. That was I wasn't expecting lose. I wasn't expecting to lose Joseph. So it was it was tough for a little bit, but. I like having Paul or as well, but yeah, no, Joseph is just, he's fast. He knows how to shoot. He knows how to play with different players. And it seems like he's really fitting in well with Ottawa. I'm pretty sure he had a hat trick in one of his first games with Ottawa too. He did. Yep. And if I'm correct, I know he was hurt for a bit. I think he's ready for training camp from what I've heard. So um, since I'm going to see him there and, you know, he probably won't get top six time. That top six in Ottawa is really good. And it's going to be impossible for anybody to take over those top six spots. Giroux is the only exception just because he is on the older side and they might want him to play with some of the younger guys in the bottom lines, but I doubt it. So Joseph, he'll probably be a third line forward. I would probably guess, but he's going to make an impact. And if Suns fans are wanting a, wanting a playoff run, I think that he's really going to help. You know, Paul, great player, but I think Joseph is a better placement than Suns fans could have hoped for Yeah, for Paul. Um, I think I think Joseph was on our penalty kill as well, and we had a really good penalty kill. Um, him and Sorelli together was, was really, really fun to watch. You know, Lightning fans always made fun of him for not being able to hit the net, but he's hitting the net now. he knows how to hit the net when he's in red and black. So, you know, I'm really happy for him. Um, You know, I I like the sense. I've never had any dislike for the sense ever since I started watching. And I love the logo a lot more now than I did before. So (laughs) much better than the 3d Spartan, but yeah, I, I'm going to be watching a lot of sense games this year. Um, Joseph is one of my favorite players and, I want to see him really succeed. I'm hoping he gets second line time at some point, but the off season that you guys had was really good. So 
the thought of him being top six now is kind of gone. But even then, solid depth player, solid third line player, and he can be a second line player <coughs> on any team that doesn't have as good of a top six as Ottawa does. That's good to hear. Yeah. So, Tim, do you have any more questions you have? No, I think we've got a very good uh, preview into what to expect from the Lightning this year. Yeah, this has been a great, great time, Noah. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast to take some time for us to do this. Now, two things before we let you go. First of all, where can our listeners find you on social media? And where can they find your blog? Yeah, so you can find all my articles on Bolts by the Bay. I might need to put that as a website on Twitter. I don't know how to use Twitter 100% yet. Um, but I have my own personal Instagram. It's Noah Z Wilson 72. I think it's pretty easy to find me. Um, and I have, you know, the nurse talks hockey Instagram that probably has like, I think it has 50 followers right now. So it's gained a little bit. Yeah, it's just starting. So you can find that there. It's just nurse talks hockey. Oh, Um, pretty cool. There's one question I do want to ask. And uh, we usually ask that at the end of these segments. Where do you see the lightning finishing this year? Oh, yeah. Um, I think third. I don't think that we'll be able to hit second. I think Florida still, I think they're getting a bit underrated by losing Huberto. But they grabbed Kachuk. Yeah, they got they got Kachuk. People are underrating the Panthers. I think it's gonna be Toronto, Florida, and um Tampa taking up those first three spots. Um, I did a thing on Instagram, actually, if I can even find it. Yeah, I think I had, oh, I had them in second, but that was when I was underrating the Panthers. I think the Panthers do take second. You know, Lightning don't care about the regular season. They're still going to be tired. So I'm not expecting too much out of the regular season. And then I had the Senators and the Red Wings taking the wild card spots. I doubt Tampa drops to a wild card spot. Right. The Saints are really good. The Red Wings are really good. But I don't think they're as good as Tampa. Um, they're going to push for a playoff spot, though. I mean, a wild card spot in the Atlantic is pretty much a regular playoff spot in any other division. Representing the Boston Bruins as a staff writer for Causeway Crowd, as well as Hawk Pros. Please welcome to the show, Brandon Quas. Brandon, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. You know, it's a beautiful Saturday. I can't really complain. I've just been here recording some segments that really went well. And, you know, I got to say, like, I'm super excited to have you on the show because... Again, one of the things that I love doing with this show is I love to take a few minutes here, just get to know my guests a little bit better. Now, for yourself, I'm actually really fascinated here because one of the things I love doing with the show, especially when we get to work with somebody, is I get to ask them how they came to write for their blog or whatever site that they work for. For yourself, though, I'm more fascinated to hear how you actually came to write for the Boston Bruins, because if I'm not mistaken, you are actually a Minnesota wild fan in Wisconsin, correct? That is correct. Yes. I am a, uh, the Minnesota wild there. They were my first love team. You know, that's the first ever NHL game I attended. It was a, you know, fierce rivalry, Minnesota wild, Colorado avalanche. 
<clears throat> I chose to stick with Minnesota and that's where I've been since. And I've actually done some writing for um, Gone Puck Wild. That's part of the fan-sided network as well in the past. And then with Bruins stuff, um, I started watching the Bruins. It's kind of a funny story. I started watching the Bruins and paying attention more and more at them during their 2011 uh, Stanley Cup run. And the funny story with that is during that Stanley Cup run, I was actually going for Vancouver. That's the funny part of it. And the only reason I was going for Vancouver is because they had slayed the Dragon and the Blackhawks, which I don't care for the Blackhawks. So, and then after that, you know, you know, Boston ended up winning the Stanley Cup that year. And I'm like, oh, well, this is a, this is a mighty team. And I think I'm going to keep following them here down the stretch. So that's kind of what led me over to, you know, Boston being my number two. Well, I, and I'm actually interested in hearing about your fandom with the Minnesota Wild, because again, Wisconsin doesn't have an NHL team and all that. So are you originally from Minnesota or are you from Wisconsin? How did that all work out? I am born and raised in Wisconsin. <clears throat> and I know what you mean too. <clears throat> Sorry. I know what you mean too. We're, we don't actually have an NHL team here in Wisconsin, but we have a lot of junior hockey teams here in Wisconsin. We have, you know, we're surrounded by NHL teams. You know, we got Winnipeg to the North, Minnesota to the West, Chicago to the South and to the East, we got Detroit, but uh, and we, we do have an American hockey league team here in Wisconsin too. That's affiliated with the uh, Nashville predators. But uh, yeah, no, I just, you know, I took an interest in hockey at a young age and, you know, like you said, we don't have an NHL team here, but you know, I'm caught on, real young with the Minnesota wild. And, you know, that's where I've been with being a diehard hockey fan. You know, it's come, it hasn't come easy. You know, there's been a lot of pain, pain and suffering either way, but um, no, I've enjoyed the, the hockey journey so far with following and, you know, I, I even played hockey myself. So it's, it's been a good journey so far. Well, with hardcore, the green Bay Packers are in Wisconsin. I'm actually very interested to know, because you were saying you have numerous NHL teams around the state. Is there like one particular team that many people in the state cheer for, or is it just kind of a hodgepodge of whatever? It's mostly in Wisconsin from the general fandom that I've been receiving. A lot of people in Wisconsin mainly just cheer for the Chicago Blackhawks, much to my despair. <laughs> but um, other than that, you know, we, like I said, mentioned previously we have some junior hockey here in wisconsin we got two ushl teams we got the madison capitals the green bay gamblers and um you know we got you know the milwaukee admirals who is affiliated with the national predators so there's hockey here it's just not you know well known yeah definitely in the midwest i mean minnesota definitely gets the state of being you know the state of hockey in the united states oh, but yeah. i know wisconsin's very big into it especially with the college ranks with the university of wisconsin badgers now, moving away from talking about hockey in Wisconsin, let's talk about the Boston Bruins because the 2021-22 season was yet another successful regular season for Boston, finishing 51-26-5 before bowing out in the first round to the Carolina Hurricanes. Despite that, the Bruins did have some struggles last season as their depth scoring was once again lacking. Linus Allmark underachieved in net, and their overall core just began to show signs of age catching up. All that being said, though, what is your thoughts on the last season for the Boston Bruins? I think, you know, like you made a couple of good points there. You know, the core is kind of falling apart. I think they took some shots in the dark on some free agents, specifically Marcus, Fli uh, not Marcus, uh, Nick Foligno. 
Nick Foligno, you know, I think they brought him in, you know, and I think he understood his role. It was going to be more of a depth, but I think they were looking for more scoring wise, but I don't think he provided that very well. Um, and, you know, they got, a, they got a guy in Craig Smith too. I think he did okay, but, you know, I think the expect the bar of expectation was raised a little bit higher. And, you know, I look at the Bruins and it's a similar situation with the wild. I think, you know, the Bruins, they, they fall back a lot on, you know, David Pasternak's ability to scoring and, you know, obviously Pasternak, you know, he, he'd had a really good season last year and now he's coming into a contract year, which that's a, you know, story for a completely other time. But um, yeah, you know, they had some struggles down the, down the stretch there with scoring um, Linus Olmark. I wrote a piece about this for Causeway crowd, just something, you know, it, it had been wearing on me for a little bit where, I noticed like, okay, there's, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I think the Bruins may have jumped the gun a little bit there with Allmark bringing them in because now it kind of, I kind of get the sense that Jeremy Swayman's kind, kind of coming into his own. We've seen, I think I, I seen a lot of good things from Swayman last year that he's going to come in and establish, establish himself. I think it was kind of more or less a panic move, you know, for the Bruins to bring Allmark in. I did some research on it and there, I can't remember the other, the other goalie, but there was three goalies that made, and I hate to bring it into money, but for the same amount of money that Allmark's making, Allmark ranked last out of those three goalies. And the first one that was ranked was Simeon Varlamov. And I was like, eh, you know, there's a lot of head scratching. You know, I was not impressed, you know, if you're in, I think if you're Boston with, you know, you want to hope that that core can kind of find itself this season. I mean, it helps that you have, you have Patrice Bergeron back. You help really helps that you have David Krejci back. I think those guys will be some, you know, even though they're up there in age, I think, you know, they still have the glue that can hold it together. You know, Bergeron, you know, he's a selkie guy year in, year out. And, you know, you get your captain back too. It's not that bad of a deal. So I think hopefully with that being said, you know, coming off of last year and looking into this year, you know, you don't want to reminisce about the past too much. I think, you know, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of good to look forward to as far as the goaltending situation goes, if you're the Bruins, you want to, you want to hope that Allmark can, you know, turn it around and it doesn't turn into just a, a bad contract situation. Cause he's under, he's under the gun for another, you know, including this season, it's four seasons. So you, you hope that things can turn around. Yeah. And I mean, for Bruins fans, they have to have that hope that it's going to get better. And I know for myself, Linus Olmark was definitely a pickup that I, I very much praised for the Bruins last season. But then again, when I saw how Jeremy Swayman, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but he definitely didn't have the, the background or anything that could really weather the Bruins bringing him in full-time as a starter. Now, I do want to move ahead in here. Talk about Bruce Cassidy because back in June, the Bruins made the bombshell announcement by firing head coach Bruce Boot, Bruce Cassidy, sorry, and replacing him with former Stars head coach Jim Montgomery. I was an as an outsider, I do feel that Cassidy got a raw deal to all this. After all, he coached the Bruins to the Cup final in 2019 and won a division title in 2020. When talking about Cassidy's departure, like where do you stand in all of this? I think it's kind of a weird situation because, you know, he was in a situation where, you know, like you said, the team had done rather well and there might've been some downers to it, you know, maybe some negative energy in the locker room. And it's kind of a, like you said, he may have gotten the raw deal on it because 
about, I think if I read this right, it was like two weeks before he was actually let go. He was told he wasn't getting let go. But I'm I'm not really sure where the bottom of the barrel is with Cassidy. I think going forward with Jim Montgomery, you know, it's a it's a fresh face. I think there just might have been some uh, you know internal locker room issues with Cassidy that you know it, it, I don't think we're getting the full story there. But uh, going forward, Jim Montgomery, you know, it's a fresh fresh face behind the Bruins bench. You know, I know he was the head coach in Dallas for a little bit. Um, he stepped away from the game because he was dealing with some personal issues. You know, he came back and was an assistant coach with St. Louis. Um, but, yeah, I think overall the transition between Cassidy and um, to Montgomery, I think it's going to be a good one. But as far as where I stand with Bruce Cassidy's firing, you know, I, I'm, I'm, wait, I'm, I'm still waiting for more information on, you know, like I said, my, my niche tells me there might have been some internal locker room issues with Cassidy. But until we know, we don't. Yeah, there could also, also have been maybe some strife between him and upper management too, right? Because you look at the yeah. roster that Don Sweeney has built in Boston and it just doesn't seem to have that much of a future, to be honest, because they the Bruins really haven't hit on a lot of the draft picks that they've made. No, no. And you hit a good point there with the draft picks too. I mean, you got to look back at a couple of their drafts. I think the one that's going to stand out most is the draft where – you know, they took they took three players, and at the moment, two of those players are no longer in the organization, if I'm thinking this correctly. And, you know, it was a draft where they had a chance. They could have drafted a guy like Matt Barzell. They could have drafted Kyle Connor. And those are two players that have gone on to, you know, have really good careers where they are right now with, you know, New York Islanders and Winnipeg Jets, respectively. Um, yeah. So, yeah, drafting has been a bit of a struggle. But no, well, I was going to say, you um, also forgot Thomas Shabbat, too. Yeah, Thomas Shabbat is another notable one there, too. But I think overall, I think hopefully going forward, you know, they have they, they've had some hits, though, with drafting, in my opinion. And I'm going to I'm going to name three in particular that are recent. You have Johnny Beecher, who's up and coming and he's looking really good. Um, there's a defense defenseman that's currently playing for uh, Ohio State University, Mason Laura. He's a big, tall, mobile defenseman. Oh, if he likes to get in on the rush, you know, and he, he's a big guy. Um, he likes to play the body. You know, he's definitely a steal for a second. For the Bruins draft him in the second round, he's definitely a steal. I got a chance to watch him in person uh, when he played in Green Bay. Um, so I was actually really excited when he got picked up by the Bruins. And then um, the last one I'm going to say is Fabian Lysel. He had an outstanding, outstanding World Juniors. You know, I, I'm not going to be too surprised if he cracks into the lineup this fall. He's definitely a guy that I've heard about too. I've I've heard that he could be making the Bruins lineup, but honestly, I, like when I look at the as an outsider, excuse me, looking at the Bruins, I mean, you look at that team and how it's constructed, and again, you're like, okay, that's not great going forward, but it also makes it worse given that there's teams like the Red Wings, like the Sens, I would see even maybe Montreal and Buffalo are coming up behind them and being like. If anybody's going to overthrow Boston, it's going to be one of those teams. Oh yeah, and going back, going back with what you just said about teams overthrowing them, the, the Bruins, with the way they're currently constructed, you know, they're still going to be in a position where, you know, like they were in the playoffs with Carolina. You know, they've met and they had a, you know, the Bruins had a good regular season. They've gotten to the playoffs, and they, in the the fact of the matter is, they just faced a a great team in Carolina. 
you know, a better team, obviously, because Carolina went on to, you know, advance in the playoffs. Um, but go- going forward with that, you know, they can't look back at that too much. You know, they can obviously reflect on, you you know, what was wrong, you know, what can we fix going forward? But, you know, they're, they, I think they were just besides themselves. I think toward, toward the end there, I think they were kind of a, they're kind of turning into a hot mess. Um, you know, like you said, with the core falling apart and, you know, there was, a, I think, a lot of change that was going to be coming. You know, I don't think, you know, in this group's back with Cassidy, too. I think there was a lot of miscommunication between Cassidy and upper management. You know, I think there was a lot of hot conversations between him and Sweeney. And um, I think maybe ultimately that's maybe maybe why he was let go. But I think, you know, going forward, it's... Uh, I think it's going to be looking better. Heading into the season, one of the big surprises has got to be the return of longtime Boston Bruin, David Krejci, after he spent a year in the Czech Republic. While I don't question what he has done in Boston in the past, I do question why the Bruins would bring him back, given that it makes the Bruins much older as they should be getting younger, given the teams I just mentioned who are coming up behind them. Overall, when talking about David Krejci's tenure in Boston, like what is your thoughts on it and what expectations should fans have on him this season? Well, the thing, the funny thing with Krejci is as soon as he, you know, he was a free agent and he left and he played over in, um, you know, his home country. As soon as that happened, people already started talking about like, you know, he'll be back. He'll be back. Even I thought it too. I'm like, like, there's no way, you know, you know, there's no way he's kicking the bucket on the NHL. I mean, even if it wasn't the Bruins, it's like, this guy's going to come back to the NHL at some point. And obviously it happened, um, you know, and like you said, he is an older guy, but I think, between, you know, he's an older guy. And the way the roster is, you know, you got, you got a lot of younger guys, like, you know, Pasternak, Trent Frederick, you got a young center winger, Jack Studenica. You know, and I think it's—I think he can be a good role model for some of these younger guys. Obviously, he's a tested vet; he's a Stanley Cup champ. Um, but I think it's a good move. You know, he's been in Boston a long time. He knows how things should be. You know, he's a leader in the locker room, and you know, it's—it's—it's it's a, it's a good move to bring him back. Expectation-wise, you know, like I said, he—he he was over in his home country playing. You know, I wouldn't set the bar too high. But also, you never know at the same time, right? You never know what what could happen. Another surprise for myself came in the way of Patrice Bergeron announcing he was going to be returning for his 19th season as a Boston Bruin. After the playoff series against Carolina last year, many fans were waiting for the inevitable of Patrice announcing his retirement. However, he decided to come back for one more year. Coming into this season, do you think we are seeing Patrice Bergeron's final NHL season? You know, it, it very well could be. I mean, I know last year there was a lot of talk that it, it could be his last season. I think maybe it's a fact of, you know, it, it's the captain's ship. You know, the captain wants to go down with this ship. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm leading on to, you know, maybe he sees something coming up this season. You know, he wants to push and push and push, push his team. And, you know, and they want, they want to get to the promised land, right? Like any team in the NHL. I think that's what he sees, and I think that that's what's driving him to be back for his 19th year. Yeah. When talking about Patrice's tenure in Boston, and you got to realize just how huge and how instrumental he really is as the Bruins, because the big thing that when I think of Patrice Bergeron was the fact that the Bruins were willing to trade Joe Thornton away 
for almost nothing just to rebuild the team around him. Oh yeah, most most definitely. And uh, obviously, you see where that's where that's gone. You know, Joe Thornton. You know, I respect Joe Thornton. He's a he's a he's a great guy. He's a great hockey player, but he hasn't won. You know, he hasn't won. He's a great veteran. You know, he's a very respected player in the league, but he just hasn't won. And you know, maybe Bruins management back at the time when that occurred, maybe they they caught that in him. And you know, they maybe looked at a guy like Bergeron, who's you know, he was a he's a he's a young guy when you know they traded Thornton, and they're like, okay, well, this guy, this guy Bergeron, he's he's years ahead of where he where he should be. You know, he's you know in his twenties, and he's he's playing like a he's playing like a solid vet. You know, so maybe that's what led them to think, okay, well, the ceiling's going to be high for Bergeron. You know, maybe you know Joe Thornton is starting to become a lost cause, and they moved on from him there. And obviously, you know, they don't have any any of the dividends that was paid out from that trade now, but, you know, you have Bergeron and his, you know, great career that he's had in Boston. And I think, you know, at the time and now that, that was a great decision to make. Say, say Bergeron announces his retirement in April. Like, do you think that you'll see the number 37 in the rafters at TD Garden? I think most definitely. Also, Most definitely, you know, he's the, I'm sorry, what? No, I was going to say, also, is he a lock for the Hall of Fame, too? I think so. I think when you have a guy like Bergeron, who, you know, he's a Stanley Cup champion, he's been in Boston now, going in his 19th year, you know, and he's been a Selkie nominee, Selkie winner. You know, I, I think not only is he gonna, is his number going to be in the rafters at some point in TD Garden, but I think he's, he's going to be a lock for the Hall of Fame. And Speaking of, you know, players that have just retired too, Zidane Chara, he uh, just signed a one-day contract to retire as a Bruin. Um, you know, again, with him, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we see a, a 33 hanging in the rafters. Um, and Chara, he's been around forever. He's been, he's been playing hockey longer than I've been alive. So, you know, I think with Chara too, I think he's definitely a lock for the Hall of Fame. Oh, 100%. I, I feel that Bertrice Bergeron should be a lock for the Hall of Fame just for that OT winner in Game 7, 2013 versus Toronto. Oh, yeah. Uh, so good, so good. Glad I'm not the only one that gets satisfaction out of that. Well, you know what's funny is that back in 20, really early 2020, when the, the NHL announced, like, what was, like, the players plays in the 2010s, and that moment came up, and so we just played the clip on the show. We're like, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, coming into the season, one player whom fans will have their eyes on is goaltender Linus Olmarks. He's coming to Boston via free agency. Olmarks' tenure in Boston has been kind of mixed overall. And we've talked, we talked about this during the segment, you know, because he has games where he looks like a legit number one tender. He looks fantastic. And then there's other games where you watch him and you're just like, are you sure this is really the guy going forward? Yeah, like I said before with Allmark, it might have been a desperation move for the Bruins to, to go grab him. But I think at the same time, they were looking at it as a fact of, okay, the one goalie that we might have some promising in Swayman at the time, he's not doing very well. They went and got Allmark, who was obviously looking to leave Buffalo at the time because obviously, you know, he had, he had a good, I think he had a good year in Buffalo, you know, the year before he was a free agent. But I think overall he wanted to move on to something, something else. So, you know, he could have. Allmark obviously had options when he was a free agent. He could have, you know, came to Boston like he did. He could have went to Edmonton. 
I think coming to Boston, it wasn't a bad move at the time, but seeing how he's done, you know, it makes it, it gives me that um, eyebrow raising look of eh, I, I'm not sure now. Well, do you feel that if Swayman had the resume behind him prior to the Allmark signing, that the Bruins would have just sort of passed on him? I think so. I think the Bruins would have more more or less focused on getting more of a, you know, maybe a mid-30s, you know, backup kind of goalie, back, you know, a, a veteran to back up Swayman. You know, and if you look at if you look if you look at it too, you know, Allmark played, you know, half, you know, he played in at least, you know, half the games last season with the Bruins. He had 26. I mean, he had a positive year. If you look at, on, if you just look at it at the, uh, you know, around the edges, he, you know, won 26 of those games and had 10 losses. You know, I think the big question with Allmark is, is when the playoffs hit, because that's when he started to struggle. And I think the pressure mounted a little bit. And I think that you can, you can look at it at two different ways. Yes. The Bruins played a good Carolina team that had a lot of firepower, but at the same time, was Allmark ready for it? You know, obviously Allmark only played two games in the playoffs before they gave the crease to Jeremy Swayman. His goals against was, you know, four points something, and I think a save percentage was in the mid, you know, 0.8 hundreds. You know, it was not pretty, so... I think that's that. I think that's also part of where me and a lot of other Bruins fans are raising the eyebrow of. Okay, we got this goalie for five million dollars a season. You know, it's great that he's he puts up you know good good regular season numbers, but where is he in the playoffs? Yeah, I agree, and I think to myself if Jeremy Swayman comes out of nowhere for this coming season and solidifies himself as a number one goaltender. What do the Bruins do with Allmark then? Do they maybe look to trade him? Do they possibly buy him out? Like, what do you feel with going forward on that? Well, my feelings on that would be I would I would obviously look to look to maybe trade him first because you know you don't want to be locked down with a buyout for for I'm not I'm not sure the specific term of the buyout what what, what it would look like, but obviously you don't want to lock yourself into that you know for a certain amount of time. So I think. If Swayman comes out and can show that he can get the job done, not only in the regular season, but the playoffs, I think the Bruins, you know, you know, Don Sweeney's got, got has to be taking a look at this and thinking, okay, I mean, it might have been a mistake a couple, you know, off seasons ago, but, you know, it looks like Swayman's looking better. You know, maybe he puts out the uh, message that he has a goalie available and moves on from there. Yeah, well, for yourself, I know being a Minnesota fan, you would know firsthand about those huge buyouts with Parise and Suter. Yeah, that that was uh, shocking. I mean, I I kind of sensed, you know, I, I, on a quick Minnesota note, I kind of sensed that something was going to be going on. But when they announced that they're buying out both of them at the same time, and it's it's a it's a raw deal because, you know, obviously that straps you cap wise for for a you know, a number of years. So going back to Allmark, like that's, that's why I would have, if I were the Bruins, I'd avoid trying to buy him out. Um, but obviously with Parisian Scooter, even without buying them out, Bill Guerin in the wild, trying to trade either one of those players would have been tough just with the way their contracts were. And I think, I mean, I know like, 
I know, you know, Parisian Suter, they're, you know, they're veterans in the league. But I think you got to look at their value too, where they value themselves. And, you know, it sounded like, and this was kind of a shock because I actually, you know, I thought very highly of Ryan Suter at the time, but it sounded like he was a bit more of a pest in the locker room than anything. And it sounded like he was very selfish and he did not take getting bought out very well. I think more or less with the Bruins and Allmark, you know, it's it, it turns into more of, okay, I have this goalie. And, you know, obviously goalies are can be a very great asset to have, especially if you encounter a situation like, you've seen it this, you know, coming in the last like month, you know, of situation like Vegas where they're missing out on Robin Leonard and they're having to turn to all these goalies. If you find a team that's in a situation like that, you could definitely, you know, make a pitch. And, you know, then you have a problem taken off your hands. So maybe that might be a situation the Bruins encounter where team starts either, you know, having goalie injury issues or, you know, goalie struggles and they, you know, want to switch the crease around. You know, I think there would be, I think there would be interest in all Mark. So Brandon, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this segment with me. Now, before we head off and end off this segment, first of all, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find the Causeway crowd? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RinkRatBQ and you can find not only mine, but other Boston Bruins blogs at CausewayCrowd.com, which is part of the fan-sided network. And the last question I got to ask, and we are asking everybody this to close out the segment. How do you see the Boston Bruins finishing in the division this season? I mean, if I had to, if I had a biased opinion, I'd love to see them finish at the top. But when you think about some of the other teams, you can't, you know, set the bar that high. But I, I, my, my personal early expectation would be no better, no worse than second. Representing the Detroit Red Wings is a staff writer for Winging It in Motown and one-third of the Red Wings podcast, 313 Hockey. Please welcome back to the show, Jake Rivard. Jake, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. Thriving and barely surviving. How about you guys? Well, we're surviving. We're surviving for sure. And I, I understand that you're dealing with an illness right now. So we do appreciate you taking some time to at least get out of bed and join us for today's episode and we are going to have a great great chat with you today jake because it was about this time last year that you made your first appearance her on the third line plug sensecast and i feel that we need to get a bit of an update on what you've been up to since then or since your last appearance you ventured into the world of podcasting with a 313 hockey podcast yes it's been quite the trip um you know, I've been showing up on all these guest shows, um, like throughout the Detroit media and getting to know a lot of people like internally in the organization. And what I noticed was that there is a big need for a non-serious hockey podcast. I feel like there are so many that just get real, like they take it too seriously when in reality it's, it's like a fun sport we watch, you know, it's, it's good to make jokes about these things and to relax a little. And so myself and two of my very good friends decided to start 313 Hockey, not only to, to bring a little lighthearted end to the hockey world, but to also 
help to interact with our community. Actually, we raised over $500 for a local charity that helps inner city kids um, afford hockey equipment and be able to play hockey. So that's been a really cool accomplishment. No, that's a very honorable venture you got yourself into. Now, another thing I want to ask now, given that when you were on the podcast last time, you recently relocated from Michigan to the city of Mac Miller, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How has the venture to Pittsburgh gone so far? Well, it was a bit of a rocky start at first. Came to find out that the movers that I hired were actually a front for organized crime. Uh, So that was... go, what? Yeah. So fun fact about a lot of United States movers. um, I don't know if the majority of your listeners are Canadian or not, but every different states have different regulations based on how much they want to enforce what a corporation is responsible for. Uh, Now, the thing about moving companies is that a lot of them are shell corporations and they are based out of the state of Florida, which is one of the most lax states for um for businesses and a lot of organized crime will use moving companies as a way to extort cash out of people so i mistakenly hired this moving company um because it was about two grand cheaper than any other moving company Uh, big mistake big mistake uh, not only did they misplace my things for two months, but they lied to me. They tried to gaslight me into believing that like my stuff was on its way. I mean, they had every excuse in the book ready. And by the time I got my things and their contract said that they had to give me a discount because of how long they took, they came up with an excuse about the amount of stairs I had in my building in order to recoup all of that money lost. They still owe me money uh, and I have tried to hound them, but uh, everything that I've done has fallen on deaf ears. So anyway, uh, do your research before you hire a moving company. Yeah, same shit happens in Canada, so. Evil. It's yeah. just evil. <laughs> they stole my couch. Oh, yeah, they shattered. Uh, they broke my grill, which really just broke my heart because um, I love that thing. Anyway, um, besides that, moved to a new apartment after getting all my things back, got a new job, which has been pretty great, and then started the podcast, and it's just been smooth sailing since then. Did a little trip to Europe, too. That was pretty nice. Where about in Europe were you going to? Uh, I went through a lot of Italy, and then I spent a week in Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona was spectacular. Actually, Italy was spectacular, too. Would recommend it if you are able to go. Excellent. Now, one thing I do want to ask about the 313 Hockey Podcast, even though it is a newer podcast, one of your recent episodes featured legendary fourth line grinder, Darren McCarty. And I got the chance to listen to the episode. And one of the things I laughed so hard about was, and I'm, I'm, I apologize if I'm blanking on her name, your co-host that, Maddie, yeah. that invited him to, was it Hanukkah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm wondering if that's going to happen. I sure as shit hope it does because those photos and the videos in general would just be legendary. I mean, that guy is so funny. And you don't expect it out of a lot of hockey players. You know, you'll watch like Connor McDavid do an interview and it's like a wet blanket, like the wettest of wet blankets. And then you get McCarty on and he's just going on and on about anything you could come up with. And he's just, he's great to have on the show. Did you ever get a chance to read his autobiography? I haven't yet, but I know the other co-hosts have. Um, I think they were, they were, they praised it very much. I have it over here. It's actually such a funny book. And one of the things that I really laughed about that book, and I think it was a question that I quote tweeted through the 313 Hockey Podcast, was I wanted to get you guys to ask him the story about the Christmas party at Rhett Warner's house where they had the big food fight. And then Darren responded himself. He's like, yep, it's in the center of that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're, we're going to have him on uh, probably a little later into the season. He's just so excited to get on there. I didn't realize he enjoyed being on the show so much. And I don't know, it's it's been like a cool meteoric rise to get all these crazy guests. I mean, we had Daniela Bruce, who's the reporter for the Red Wings. We had Ken Cal, who was, who's been the radio voice of the Red Wings for over 30 years. And we're looking at a couple other guests right now. I've got to figure out exactly who I want and in what order, because I don't want to just bring in like, you know, a legend and then follow it up with like, hey, here's my friend. Because like, you know, Steve Eisner is going to look like an opening player, or, you know, an opening act compared to my friends. They're funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always incredible, like who you can get on a podcast, eh? Yeah, yeah. I, it's The problem is with the wings is they keep a lot of their, they're very tight-lipped about things. I mean, that's uh, why, like, we still haven't gotten a leak on their reverse retros where, like, you know, you, you could see like an org like the Sabres who basically had to leak it themselves. Yeah, it seems like the Red Wings have very much like a New England Patriots vibe about them where they are extremely tight-lipped about a lot of stuff, but they're also very tight-knit when it comes to the family. I mean, Darren talked about that in the podcast with the fact that he's been involved, Stevie Weiss been back. So let's move away from talking about your hockey podcast. Let's talk about the Red Wings last season because, you know, last season was yet another rebuilding year for the Red Wings, finishing once again in the bottom of the Eastern Conference. While there weren't many negatives last season, there are quite a few positives as well. Dylan Larkin bounced back in a big way to lead the team in scoring. Stevie Y finally firing Jeff Blaschel as head coach. And the play of both rookie Lucas Raymond and Maurice Sider, who went on to win Rookie of the Year, were all highlights for the Wings. Overall, what was your thoughts on the 2021-22 Detroit Red Wings? I think there was a lot to be optimistic about. And there was a lot that made me realize how far the rebuild still had to go. I went in, you know, the first couple of weeks where the team was hot, they were scoring at crazy clips. I mean, they, I think they almost beat Tampa in the opening night. There was that big ass brawl. Um, you know, there, there was so much to be hopeful for. And then you watched as the season progressed uh, as Jeff Blashill just lost the locker room. You had guys like Philip Zadina take a step back. You had the defense basically fall apart besides cider. Um, and I don't, it left me with a lot of questions and a good amount of them have been answered this off season. There have been a lot of major improvements that I am happy about and the way that this prospect tournament just ended. I'm excited to see how the preseason is going to shake out too. Yeah. Well, even for this upcoming season, like what is a, what is a reasonable expectation to put on that Detroit team? You know, I know you guys are probably pushing for either fourth or fifth in the Atlantic. And I think we're doing the exact same thing. Um, I think it depends on the whole playoff picture is going to shake out basically depending on how quickly Boston falls apart. Is this going to be their last dance or are they going to just completely collapse and uh, embarrass everybody involved? And I think that also plays into like how well Alex Brinkett and uh, your new squad and Giroux and all of them mesh together for the Sens. Um, depending on who has the better chemistry and the better direction moving forward, I think will be it, that, that will determine the winner of fourth or fifth place in the Atlantic. Well, definitely with Ottawa entering their officially entering their 30th season, that would be really, really cool to see them finally make the playoffs. Now, a few moments ago, we were talking about Morris Sider, and he was definitely a huge bright spot for the Detroit Red Wings as he became the first, I didn't even realize this, he became the first Red Wings in 57 years to win the Calder Trophy. I understand that coming into the season, wing fans will definitely have hot sky high expectations for him as he looks to solidify himself as one of the top defensemen in the NHL. In regardless to Cider, what sort of expectations should the fans have on him for this season? 
I think you're going to see him probably hit a similar point total. I think he's going to, I mean, people are going to be more aware of who he is and it's going to push back on him a bit, but I don't really foresee a sophomore slump. I mean, Cider's one of those special players where like, once he gets going, the momentum's just going to keep pushing him onward. He's going to have a better defensive partner with Ben Sherratt, so he won't have to worry about like covering for Danny DeKaiser's mistakes anymore. He's going to have more depth behind him and more depth in front of him to help him set up for more points and a more consistent, reliable goaltending because now you've got a double threat rather than Alex Nedeljkovic and whatever happened to Thomas Grice. Also, fun fact, um, the last time that the Red Wings had a Calder nominee, a Calder finalist actually, um, was Henrik Zetterberg in 2004, and he lost to Barrett Jackman of the St. Louis Blues. Now, I don't I don't even remember Barrett Jackman, but I remember Henrik Zetterberg. I know <laughs> one of them is a Hall of Famer, or should be a Hall of Famer, and the other one is Barrett Jackman. Yeah, that's right. I totally forget that Barrett Jackman won Rookie of the Year. I think he won it in... Oh, three or something? It, it might was, have been 03. Yeah. I think it was 03 because 04 would have been Andrew Raycroft. But yeah, I remember yeah. Barrett went up against Zetterberg and there was just so many guys, like Rick Nash and all these guys were coming yeah. up. Everyone's like, Barrett Jackman? Yeah, yeah, how did he do that on 20 points? That's like if Michael Bunting won and you'd be like, what, really? Like, Yeah, I was going to say, I thought they put rules in there so they can't have guys over the age of 26 that win the rookie of the year. Michael Bunting's a 30-year-old rookie. That's all right. He's my my next year Calder candidate. He's got to still be eligible. I mean, if he can get through all the other loopholes. (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing if Bunting loses to, like, Shane Pinto? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Or 18-year-old Sam Bennett. He's still young to me. (laughs) <laughs> that's always crazy eh? when you think of some of these guys who are still prospects and you're thinking like oh yeah this guy's like 19 20 years old and you're thinking that they're, they're like 25 already what the fuck yeah. where did the time go i mean right? that's how i felt looking at zadina zadina's like almost 22 now and i'm like wait you're you were still a little kid what are you doing but you know what's crazy like i even think of like connor mcdavid i still think of him as like an early 20s and the guy's been in the league for what eight years now yeah it's like what um what kids that kid's crazy i wish he was better at interviews that's my only complaint right now no notes <laughs> i know but then again crosby seemed like a wet blanket and then he was on spit and chicklets and he's funny like he's legit funny so Good on. i'm glad he's gotta let loose i think that's what he's doing now later in his career you saw it recently when talking about the nathan mckinnon wedding and all that stuff now moving back to the red wings here i mean heading into this Past offseason, one of the big names hitting the free agency was former Florida Panthers defenseman Ben Sherratt, and the Red Wings ended up being the team to land him. Four years, $19 million. Now, with Cider on the right side, Stevie White definitely hit a home run landing him on the left side. Overall, I'd like to get your thoughts on what you thought of the Sherratt signing and what sort of expectations should you have for him? I mean, to be honest, when I first saw the signing, I thought it was a joke. Like, uh, I, I was clowning on Sherratt all last season because I was like, I was like, there's no way in hell that he's going to get traded for this amount. Like the Habs are overrating him. Like their fan base is delusional. And then he went to the Panthers for a first and some change. And I was like, is he really that valued? Like in the NHL? And then when he signed this deal, I was even more perplexed, but the more I've started to think about it, the more it's making sense to me this year, you've got a big guy who's going to stand up to the bullies. Uh, I noticed that last year, the wings, well, the last couple of years, the wings have been getting pushed around by a lot of the like 
low key dirty guys. I mean, like, like you've, you've watched Tampa Bay play. Like they've got a lot of players that will be a little scummy under the radar, like Nikita Kucherov and having a guy like Ben Sherratt, who's going to make those big hits and who's going to stand up to the bully so that Dylan Larkin doesn't have to like break his fist or get suspended are, is a, is a need, especially with a team that's still trying to build its chemistry like this. So, I mean, this deal looks kind of crappy right now and I agree. I'm not crazy about it, but as time gets, as time goes on and the cap grows and the roster continues to develop, you can push Ben Sherratt down the lineup and have a little more flexibility with that cap room, you know, with, like I said, with the expanding cap space. Yeah, it definitely should be a, a decent sign for the Red Wings, but I would love to see the battle between him and Brady this season yeah. when it comes to town. <laughs> and I mean, when, whenever anybody's like, oh, uh, well, that doesn't seem like much of an upgrade, I implore you to look at who Mo Sider was paired with last year and Danny, all of Danny DeKaiser's advanced metrics because those they're bad. Off. They're, they're pretty awful. And then I think he played some time with Mark Stahl as well, right? And I love Mark Stahl, don't get me wrong, but the man, it, you get one of two Mark Stahls anytime you watch him play. You're either going to get offensive dynamo or uh, the guy the Rangers hated. You're probably getting the guy the Rangers hated more often than not. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like the Rangers always had a hatred for the Stahl brothers, whoever played for the Rangers. I'm finding that the Rangers hate a lot of players that I really like, which is <laughs> like just the more I learn, the more fascinated I become. I mean, like we were just talking about the Lundqvist trade earlier, like, but like, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I think it really goes to show just how poorly the Rangers can develop top end prospects. Yeah. I'm wondering how Capo Caco is going to pan out, but anyway, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a whole story of another day. <laughs> Now, another big made another big move made by the Red Wings this offseason was the acquisition of goaltender Billy Huso from the St. Louis Blues. Now, when you were on last year, Jay, one of the things we talked about was the acquisition of Alex Nadelkovich prior to the season. And his subplay, his subpar play anyway, it forced Stevie Eiserman to make a deal to help improve the goaltending even more with Huso recording a 25-7-6 rating with the St. Louis Blues last season. Overall, what was your thoughts on the trade and what does this mean for Alex Nadolkovich? So I guess I'll start with the Ned part um, because that does come with a lot of caveats. I mean, Ned was playing, this is his first off, the biggest, the longest season he's ever played uh, was last season. Um, he had to play alongside Thomas Grice, who if you look at his numbers or, I mean, if you've watched him play, he's not very um, good. <laughs> he had to play in front of, you know, Cider, who was good. Um, Danny DeKaiser and then the corpse of the rest of the defensive depth that the wings had or didn't have. Um, and I think that caused him to struggle. And I think that this, but, I, but with that being said, I would like to give him a little more time. I think that writing him off early is a fool's mistake. And I think that's what the hurricanes did and they will probably regret it. But with that being said, I like the Villa Huso deal because he was the one who carried the blues kicking and screaming into the playoffs. He was acquired for the exact same price they paid to the Carolina hurricanes to get Ned. I think if Ned flounders or if Huso flounders, the other one can take their place. Um, and I think that with that said that we have one of the best tandems in the East uh, as a result, I mean, maybe even in the division, like I think these guys could easily spank Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov without even thinking twice. I mean, in fairness, I think a small gust of wind could probably do that to Matt Maurice. <laughs> hey, we watched that all last year. 
Oh yeah. God, I can. I imagine. think we're we're able we're allowed to do make comments like that, given that because we're not wrong. It's not he punching down if you're making fun of playoff teams. Twelve games last year. Yeah. Well, he won what five? Did he win five or five overall? I thought he won four because he in his first stretch before he got Chris Kreidered, he won. He won none. Then he got demoted to the AHL. Uh, so this is the deep Matt Murray lore. <laughs> Matt Murray deconstructed. <laughs> uh, watch my 15-part YouTube series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll put secrets. Oh, he won five. He played 20 games, won five. Yeah. With a point nine oh six. And it's a shame because, like, I have no ill will towards Matt Murray. I was really excited when we got him, but unfortunately, it just it didn't pan out. You just know somebody is going to take those isolated stats and be like, if Matt Murray can put together a 906, imagine what he can do with Jake Muzzin. Oh, Lee, so Lee fans are already doing that. They're already talking about him winning 37 games next season. I'm like, <laughs> I would be shocked if he plays 37 games next season. Like, he actually I, I hate- won more games in the with the bubble Ottawa team oh. sporting a fancy 0.89. Bruh. <laughs> like <laughs> actual bruh moments. Oh. God. I will anyway, give that. At least they got a good tandem. I could slander him all day, but, you know. Um, he seems like but, a nice guy. Yeah. He kind of looks like a Red Dead Redemption character to me uh, <laughs> in the way that like Nick Letty does too. Like, if you know you what's funny? Picture... I just beat Red Dead Redemption 2 the other night. Great After game. How many years of finally putting the hours and I just got time to play, play it and it was really good. I liked it. It took me a long time to get to it too. I mean, it's just such a commitment, you know? Yeah. And that's where like for me, I just, I don't have the time commitment to put in a lot of modern games. Like I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima again right now. because Oh, that game slaps. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Now, of course, another big storyline coming into the season is about Phil Sedina. Now, you talked earlier about, like, he really took a step back last season, and Red Wing fans are definitely going to be looking at him to finally have that breakout season after signing that three-year, $5.475 million contract. And it just seems like he really hasn't been able to find his footing in the NHL as he's only had a career-high 24 points after being drafted sixth overall. So coming into the season, what do you – as a Red Wings fan, feel that he needs to do to achieve a breakout season? I think he just needs a fresh start, honestly. Like, I think Zadina is one of the most talked about people on the, in, around the Red Wings fandom. I mean, people either think he's a total bust and he needs to be traded immediately, or they think he's, like, the greatest player ever and needs to be just surrounded by the perfect situation. I kind of fall in the middle where I think that if you're not going to give him an opportunity to succeed, you need to trade him. But with that being said, he needs ample opportunity to try out under a new coach, you know, to, to really get, get his bearing. I think that he and Blashill didn't really get along. And I think that that caused him to lose a lot of his responsibilities on the ice and miss out on some key ice time. And I think with the right coach, I'm hoping for at least like a 40 to 45 point season. I think that would match up pretty neatly with his contract. And if it winds up not panning out, the contract is, I think it's a three-year, one million a year deal or 11, or 1.1 million a year deal. Um, if it doesn't pan out, then they can easily, you know, move him up for the right price. Right. And do you think he'll uh, maybe gel, get some time to play with uh, like Andrew Kopp or some of the other forwards that they brought in? 
I think it's going to depend on how the roster shakes out. I mean, you've got guys like Jonathan Bergeron who are trying out for roster spots. Um, Elmer Soderblom had an amazing pros- or, uh, prospect tournament, and that guy is like one of the most unique players I've ever seen, like six foot eight and has the hands of Patrick Kane. Like, I can't believe it. Um, but anyway, yeah, like it, it just depends on how, they can, how they're going to shake up the roster. If they put him with Jacob Verana on that line with Andrew Kopp, I think you could see something out of him. But then you'd have to figure out what to do with uh, David Perron. Do you move him down to the third line when he just had his career best year? Right. More questions and answers. But these are good problems to have. Fair enough. Now, do you feel that Sedina really had a bit of a strike against him when he came to Detroit after making those comments about he's going to light the NHL up? I don't know. I, I don't really put much weight and stock into those kinds of comments. Um, but I think because of the way he had to develop, and the way he's been put in just some odd situations, it's it's kind of messed with him. He's one of those kind of cerebral type players where he has to be like, when he's hot, he's hot. And when he's not, he's not. I'm trying to think of a good like Sens related example, but you know, those guys still left. Yeah. Like guys who run just purely on confidence or they yeah, can light the league left. up for a couple of weeks and then disappear for like a month. Ooh, I was going to say, what about Mike Hoffman? Mike Hoffman is a great example. Yeah. yeah like that. Except with a more sane fiance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good lord, good lord. Yeah. No. Now, I, I do want to bring this up really quickly. Now, say hypothetically, Sedina gets off to a really cool start, and the Red Wings look to trade him. As a Wings fan, like, what would you accept in a trade for Philip Sedina? Well, if you're trading him like that, I mean, you're trading him at his absolute lowest value. I think that they would probably try to ride him out and see if he can, you know, get something going, and if they can't I don't know that's a tough question I, I I just don't know what like would be a realistic offer I mean like ideally I'd like to get a player similar to Zadina where some you know somebody who needs like a fresh start like if Eric Brandstrom was a lot better yeah I would go for something like that yeah I think I think people don't give Brandstrom a lot of credit because again he doesn't I, I, I was of the belief last season that DJ Smith really didn't give him much of an opportunity to really succeed last year. And when he did, and we said on the show, you, he made one mistake and next thing you know, he's like handcuffed to the bench. Yep. Yeah. You're not getting off the bench the rest of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that kind of thing was what, I mean, the same thing happened with like Blash Hill and Zadina. So, I mean, I'd be looking at those kinds of players and see if there's somebody who you could get out of the doghouse in exchange. As a Red Wings fan, like, are you surprised that Jeff Blashill lasted as long as he did as head coach? On one hand, yeah. And on the other hand, like, I get that Eisman is trying to feel it out. I think he was waiting for the right opportunity. Or he probably had Derek. Like, my my theory, my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory is that he has wanted Derek Lalone for quite a while. And he was waiting for the right opportunity to get him. And given Lalone's contract and how it ended with the Lightning, I think he was waiting till they either got booted out of the playoffs or won the cup for the third time in a row in order to get him. And I'm happy with the pick for Lalone, and I'm hoping that it pans out. And, I mean, if if Eiserman's got his guy, the guy hasn't done me wrong yet, you know, so. Well, as as a Red Wings fan, did you did you put much weight into this rumor of, like, Sergei Fedorov coming back to the franchise? God, I would have loved that. Um, I do have some insider info that I will share with you guys, get a little scoop. Um, so Mike Illich was the owner of the Red Wings before he passed away. 
Um, his son, Chris, now runs the organization, and Marion Illich, who is Mike's wife, has a lot of say in the going on to the organization. Mike was pretty upset when Fedorov left to sign that offer sheet with, I want to say, Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that kind of created a bit of animosity between him and Fedorov. I, I'm, I'm not sure if they made up or not, but from what I'm hearing with my insiders, they're not going to be retiring Sergei Fedorov's number until Marion Illich passes away. And with that said, probably wouldn't be able to hire him as a head coach until, you know, that time comes. Yeah. Cause you always, like, I've, I've always kind of heard rumors about like a falling out between Mr. I and Ben Sergey. So I'm really kind of surprised to hear about this because, you know, you, you, nobody would really think about that. Right. Unless you were a diehard. Yeah. It's, it was all about money, which is really sad. Like, but it's like, also it does kind of fall into that reputation that the Illiches have about being super lo- like they value loyalty a lot mm-hmm. I mean that's why Jonathan Erickson stuck around for so long yeah <laughs> or Blas Hill mm-hmm. or Darren Helm Darren Helm I mean Darren Helm was pretty he's still pretty good at the um at like penalty killing and fourth line stuff at the price he was being paid I wouldn't have done it but I mean you saw what he did with Colorado I mean he was he was when you put him in the right situation to succeed he can do great yeah so, Tim, do you have any questions you want to ask Jake before we head out for the night? No, I think we're good. So, Jake, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast this evening to do this segment with us. Now, before we let you go, first of all, for our listeners who didn't get a chance to listen to the season preview show last year where you were on for the Detroit Red Wings, where can they find you on social media? And where can they find 313 Hockey and Winging It in Motown? So I'll start with me. You can find me on Twitter at, at Rivard NHL. That is R-I-V-A-R-D-N-H-L. Um, you can find my work at Winging It in Motown, which is the SB Nation affiliate for the Detroit Red Wings. And you can find 313 Hockey on any podcast platform of your choice or our Twitter at 313 Hockey. Um, I think that's all. Now, the last thing I do want to ask, though, because we're asking everybody. Now, I know that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier in this episode, but I want to get you to give more of a concrete answer on your prediction, how the Detroit Red Wings will finish this upcoming season in the division. I think if I'm being realistic, I'm going to say fifth place, fifth in the division. I'm going to say they probably edge out the Sens by two or three points. And the only reason why is because of the goaltending depth. Closing out the American portion of our season preview show. Representing the Buffalo Sabres is the managing editor of the SB Nation blog, Die by the Blade, and is returning guest to the show. Please welcome back to the program, Melissa Burgess. Melissa, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to be back and getting ready for another hockey season. Absolutely. And I know we were talking off air about the Sabres rookie camp. I know you were there covering that a little bit. Do you mind talking to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Sabres have had a the rookie, it's called the Prospects Challenge. They've had it every year for the past few years. This year, they opened it up to a six-team tournament, which is, you know, kind of cool it's to see this building. Um, you know, before this, the Sabres used to take part in the Traverse City uh, tournament in Michigan. 
And over the years, they've kind of just started snowballing their own tournament, which is neat. So the, the Devils, the Canadians, the Senators, Penguins, the Bruins all are in Buffalo this weekend for their prospects. And um, it's been a really great tournament. Like there's something like 17 first round draft picks overall, which, you know, when will you ever get to see that many first round draft picks in one rink in the same weekend? So um, it was really great. I went to the Sabres game against the Canadians and then the Sabres against the Devils. Um, Really nice to see how some of these guys are developing and, you know, makes you look forward to what's to come for the season and future years. No, I understand. Like you were mentioning off the air, it's not at, at HPC arena. It's at the one across the street, correct? Right. So it's not at Key Bank center. It's at Harbor center, which is the, um, essentially the Sabres practice rink, but there's a lot of other teams that play there. Um, and it's, it's a good complex because there's actually two rinks. There's a hotel, you know, it, there's a restaurant, there's a, a Tim Hortons. So it's, it's a great venue for this kind of thing because all the scouts and teams presumably are all staying at the hotel as well. So it works very well. No, I understand that the Pagula is actually paid for this in full. They're not making the pet taxpayers of Buffalo paying for it like the Bill Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they, I mean, I remember when I used to go to Sabres games as a kid and the area that is now Harbor Center was a parking lot. And it's it's so weird to think like, it was a parking lot and now it's, you know, a 17 story hotel and seven floors of parking and rinks below that. So it's been a great development for the city of Buffalo, obviously. And, you know, it's what's allowed them to bring like the world juniors and things like that here. It's, it's a big attraction. So. Yeah. Well, definitely even with Buffalo being so close to the Canadian border, you know, you definitely see it every year with the Canadians coming down, but Never even really thought about that, given that you have the hotel right there. So, so that's a big thing for the Sabres. So good for them. Now, it is hard to actually hard to believe, Melissa, that it's been almost a year since your last appearance here on the Third Line Public Sensecast. However, since you were last on, you've been fairly busy with your writing and managing work, including being featured on the Hockey News. Now, I got to get you to talk to us about this and what you've been up to over the past year. Yeah, it has been a busy year. Um but when is it not, right? <laughs> um, uh, you know, basically just doing the dive of the blade thing, obviously um, taking kind of a more prominent role in Sabres coverage, I hope. And yeah, that the hockey news just kind of came up. Um, I saw someone on Twitter, I think it was a Chicago writer who, you know, was like a blogger and had a piece in the hockey news. And I was kind of like, well, if they could do it, then why can't I? So I came up with a story and I wrote a pitch, you know, and obviously it was a good pitch about Jack Quinn and um, his, his being drafted and playing through the pandemic and kind of making his debut under such, you know, circumstances. And um, it was really cool because the hockey news is something that I've been reading since I was a kid. Um, You know, I remember when it was like an actual physical newspaper, like that style. And so to, to get to have a piece in there was, was very neat and definitely a, a highlight for me. Um, other than that, obviously still covering women's hockey and working with the Canisius College hockey team and the Buffalo Junior Sabres and God knows what else. <laughs> but, you know, it's been a busy year, but I look forward to another busy season starting up now. So, Well, when it came to the hockey news, I was really, really surprised to hear that you were featured in there because, again, the hockey news for so many years has been such a prominent 
it would be newspaper or whatever for writers. And it was always the professionals, but now that, as you mentioned, the Blackhawks blogger and yourself are now included. I think that's really cool that the hockey news is now opening up to the bloggers. And I think it's really a sign of they're getting with the times of saying like, you know what, you don't need to be professional writers. There's a lot of bloggers who are just as good as the pros. So. Well, I think the other mark is, is that they're recognizing that the bloggers are the pros nowadays, along with the credentialed journalists. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I've, I've been credentialed and and also I think another part of it is if you're on the ground in, you know, Buffalo or Chicago or whatever, you have more of a, a pulse of what's going on on that team and you know what the good stories are that maybe those, you know, national or international writers may miss sometimes. So I think it's, it's a different perspective and I, I like that they've been able to open those doors. Let's talk about the Buffalo Sabres of last season. Now, when you were on last time, of course, we talked at length about how the Buffalo Sabres not only fell flat on their face, but were dragged through the dirt, given that the whole dark cloud of the Jack Eichel situation still hung over them. However, I have to say, despite trading the franchise player to Vegas, the Sabres were actually one of the biggest surprises for me last season, finishing 32, 39, and 11, which helped them finish fifth in the division with huge breakout years by Tage Thompson, the bounce back years of Skinner and Kyle Ocaposo and the solid goaltending of former Sens goalie, Craig Anderson. When looking back on last year's Sabres team, did it come as a shock to you that they played as well as they did? I think so, because it kind of developed over the course of the season, you know, and I think, you know, you talked about it, the idol thing, it was like a cloud hanging over the, the team. Just so once that, you know, happened, it was kind of just good to, kind of breathe and let everyone kind of figure out like, okay, so now that this is done, we can focus on ourselves. We can focus on the players who are here and what we want to be be as a team going forward. And so you saw guys like Tate Johnson really step up. And I mean, he was incredible last season and obviously got a really great contract as a result. You saw um, Alex Tuck once he got into action, he just absolutely exploded. You saw Peyton Krebs who also came with Tuck um, in the Eichel deal, who was a great offensive contributor. Um, and you know, that just, that kind of morale just trickles down throughout the locker room. Kyle Oposo like is a great leader, would not be surprised to see him as captain this year. And just all of that kind of kept, you know, fueling. And then obviously as you play and you start winning and you have guys have great goals and things like that, it just keeps fueling you and you just want to keep doing better. So I think, it's not, it wasn't a surprise to see them have that uptick, especially toward the end of the season. Um, but it was kind of, it was nice, it, you know, it was refreshing because it's like you could see in the locker room. Um, I shouldn't say in the locker room because we weren't allowed in the locker room because um, <laughs> they were, there were still COVID like restrictions in terms of they weren't opening the locker room. But you could see when guys talked at the podium that they wanted to move on. They didn't want to talk about Eichel, they wanted to focus on who they were as a team now, who was there and what they were doing. And I think that that kind of was a, a, you know, a weight off their shoulders. How much is there a big difference between the Kruger era and the post Kruger era? Oh gosh. It's like night and day, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned it um, with, with Jeff Skinner, that that's your best example right there. It's like the lowest of the low. And then once, Ralph Kruger goes away and Skinner kind of finds himself again. And he kind of shows the the player that we all knew he could be, but just was not happening under Kruger because of course he was, you know, getting benched and getting 
crappy minutes and sometimes he was in the press box and like Jeff Skinner is not the kind of player that you do that to. So it was really nice to see his resurgence. And that's just, you know, an example of the difference that we've seen under Don Granado. Well, I know a guy I want to talk about here is Kyle Caposo, And you mentioned about him potentially becoming the captain of the Sabres. Do you think that would be the right move for the Sabres moving forward? Or do you feel that the Sabres should wait a year or two to see if another guy pops up? I think that, yes, both. <laughs> um, I think they're going to name Oposo the captain for this year. And I think that's absolutely the right move. You know, I think this is the last year of his contract, but he's he's a leader. Um, you know, he is one of the older guys on the team. He's kind of like, the, he's like the dad of the team. Um, and you can just see how he takes the younger guys under his wing and how he brings up the energy in that locker room. He's always got a smile on his face. He's, but he's serious, but he's, you know, he's able to be that leader. Um, there's been videos of him over the summer when the prospects and the rookies were in camp, uh, development camp earlier this summer. And there's a video going that you can find of him talking to them. And just the way that he speaks about the city of Buffalo and the Sabres, you can, like, that's leadership right there. Um, and even when, you know, the terrible shooting happened here in May, like he was a leader in the community, you know, in the sports community, bringing people together. Uh, and that, that means a lot because obviously it's, it's about the on ice stuff, but it's also about the off ice stuff. So I think Oposo turns to be captain this year. I think you make Alex Tuck an alternate and then I think he is the logical choice for captain after this season. So for this upcoming season, one of the big storylines for the Buffalo Sabres for myself anyway, has got to be the return of the goat head Jersey. And I know that when the NHL introduced the reverse retro jerseys a few years ago, I know a number of Sabre fans wanted to see the return of the goat head. And of course they got the butter knife Jersey coming back in the blue and gold, but when news broke that the Sabres were officially bringing back the Goathead as their alternative for 12 games this season, it was met by not only overwhelmingly positive response from the Sabre fans, but NHL fans in general. And I'll throw yourself as a longtime Sabres fan, how excited are you about the return of the Goathead? <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, say that they hated it the first time around but it's that kind of nostalgia. But I think that's exactly why so many people are excited about it is because it reminds people of those good years, you know, with Chris Drury and Danny Briere and just the, the hype of playoffs and everything like that. Um, it makes absolute sense. I think 12 games is not a lot, unfortunately. And I think a lot of people would, would love to see it, you know, for more than that. I mean, not as a, not as a main Jersey, obviously, but you know, for more, but I know that NHL has its restrictions on third jerseys and all that. Um, but I think it's cool. Um, it brings people back, you know, there's people who loved that goat head back in the day and they're now seeing it again. And they're like, Oh man, like, you know, you, you draw those parallels between the team that was really good back then and how the team is now. Um, for me, you know, I, I recently just moved to a new apartment um, so it's kind of funny because I'm going through all of my boxes as I'm unpacking and I'm finding all of these goat head items from when I was a kid. And it's like, oh man, this is cool. This is back. Oh, wow. I wonder, you know, like, that's awesome. I had that. And um, they have a lot of merchandise now at the arena store and definitely I've seen a lot of fans with the goat head on. So it's, it's super cool to see it back. 
Now, the only question for me is that I would imagine it has to be the black ones because I can't see Buffalo once again having a reverse retro jersey if that's in white. Yeah, I think the black would make the most sense. I think that's the sharpest. And yeah, like you said, I, I don't think another white jersey would make sense. I think those are coming out. I don't know when those are being released, you know, relatively soon. Something like that, yeah. I do think that it is very fitting to bring it back to the Goathead because this current iteration of the Sabres team really gives me vibes of those late 90s hardest working team Sabres that they didn't have really any superstars outside of Hasek. They kind of have that gives me that kind of vibe anyway. And when talking about this upcoming season, unfortunately, this will be a significant one for the Sabres as for the first time since 1971, longtime play-by-play announcer Rick Jenner will not be calling Sabre games. Regardless of how the Sabres have been playing on the ice over the years, Jenneret was always something that the fans could look forward to every year with his calls. And he's had numerous big calls over the years from the May Day to all the stuff in the 97 playoffs and going on from there. For somebody who isn't from the Buffalo area, how much did Rick Jenneret mean to the fans and the city of Buffalo? Oh man, I think... Like Rick Jenneret is the Sabres to so many people, you know, I mean, you, you said it, he's been around for almost the entire franchise history. So basically at any point, if you've listened to a Sabres game or watched a Sabres game, you've heard him and his calls are legend, you know, in Buffalo and across the NHL. Um, so he is an essential part of just the Sabres experience. Uh, and it is, it is going to be very different to see him, you know, to see games without him going forward. I think we all knew that that was coming, of course, and it's it's hard for fans to consider like, oh, he's he's really not going to be around because for the last few seasons, we kind of knew it was coming, but he's still been around, even if it's been in limited games. And now it's really like, OK, this is it. This is really it. And I was at the game where they honored him and, you know, raised his uh, initials to the rafters, I guess you would say. And there was not an empty seat in that house. And it was just, you could just feel the love that people have for him. And, you know, it's, it's new fans, it's old fans. It's people who were, have been around for years. It's people who just got into the Sabres of the last few years. doesn't matter. You know, RJ, you love RJ. He is the Sabres. Well, I know even people who have talked about RJ, they always talk about how much of a homer he was toward the Sabres. But again, being the longtime Sabres and now play-by-play guy, it makes a lot of sense. Now, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but do you have a personal favorite Rick Jenner call from over the years? Oh, man. I Probably the the now do you believe these guys are good, scary good, just because it, it takes me back to that, you know, that moment. And um, You're only doing this because we're Ottawa fans, aren't you? <laughs> You know, but, but there's just so many, like even just his call. Well, that's going to be a, yeah, sorry. That's going to be yeah, a yeah. goal Salt against the, the wound, Sens too. <laughs> the, the Derek Plant goal against the Ron Tugna. That was like, I was at that game. So I didn't hear the call live, but hearing it later, like I can replay that clip in my head and I can hear Rick Jenner's call. Like, and I can just, you know, utter it out, but there's just been so many over the years that Anything, any one call that he has can take you back to a moment in Sabres history that was pivotal for some reason or another. So heading into this season, one of the big storylines involving the Buffalo Sabres of current day has got to be the breakout star from last season, Tage Thompson. 
Tage was somebody who I don't think many people would have predicted he would have had the breakout year that he did, which netted him a huge extension by the Sabres. I'd like to get your thoughts on Tage's season last year, and what was your thoughts overall on the extension? I think Tage, you know, Tage came into Buffalo as part of the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Um, so obviously from the get-go, there was a lot of pressure there. There was a lot of expectation of anytime, you know, anytime you have a big trade like that, you're going to come in with expectations of, well, we gave up this guy for you, so you better show up. And, you know, Tage has been, he's taken a few years. He's grown into himself. He is a big boy. Um, and he really showed how he can develop last year. I mean, I, I don't think anyone expected that from him, but it was a, a pleasant surprise. He just has this offensive skill that just looked unbeatable at times. And I think the the contract, you know, is a, is a gamble, but I'm, I mean, any game, any contract is a gamble, but I think it's a good indication of the Sabres faith in him. And, you know, they see something in him that they said, okay, you had one really good season, but we believe this is more than that. We believe there's more to you than just this one good season. And we want to build a future with you. So we're offering you this contract because of course they could have waited until next year um, and seen what he does this season. And, you know, maybe he flops this season or maybe he has another incredible year. And if he has another incredible year, then his price tag goes up even more, but also just talking like an off ice thing again, Tate has talked about how much he loves Buffalo and how much he wants to be here. You know, he like went to Kevin Adams and basically said, Hey, I like what we're building here and I want to be a part of it going forward. And the Sabres are big on that. They're big on culture. They're big on having players who want to be here. You'll hear like Kevin Adams say that you'll hear Don Granado say that we want players who want to be here. And, you know, back in the day, I kind of took that as a shot against guys like Jack Eichel um, who don't want to be here and, and but that's a whole like whole different podcast <laughs> um but it's true you know like it's a big difference between a guy who signs somewhere just because it's a good contract and a guy who signs somewhere because he really genuinely likes what that team is doing he likes the city and he wants to like develop his career there Tage also just had his first child so that you know that's a factor your kid's gonna grow up in buffalo like that's a part of it uh, so it's clear that he buys into what the Sabres are doing. And I think he'll have a good year this year. Right. So what would you call like success for this contract? Like uh, what sort of metrics would you be looking at? I guess just his offense, you know, I mean, obviously he, he exploded last season offensively, but I also think you look at the guys around him. Like you look at, you know, Jeff Skinner and guys like Rasmus Asplund, who's coming up you know, over the next years from Rochester, you look at like Jack Quinn and um, you see how those guys get to play with him and how Tage helps them develop too, because obviously he's still, you know, he's still pretty young, but he can be a mentor to some of those other guys and help them develop too. So while you look at his stats, you also look at how he makes plays and how he affects those other players and helps them grow. Okay. I, I do really appreciate the comment you made about the players that want to play in Buffalo. And I find that as somebody who isn't from the city of Buffalo, it seems like Buffalo as a sports market, it's one of those markets that either the players go there and they love being there or they want the first ticket out. It's like them and Cleveland, there's cities like that. So I'm really glad to see that Sabre players that go to Buffalo, they want to stay there, especially after the whole Jack Eichel thing. 
And I mean, look at Ottawa, right? You know, Ottawa, there's a number of years where players didn't want to be there. They're leaving. Now you got the Brady's, the Norris's, Stutzlas guys. So it's nice to see Buffalo and Ottawa are on the same page on that. Now, when talking about Ottawa and, of course, former Ottawa Senator Craig Anderson, for me, he was a big story last season because, again, you've got to realize after the departure of Linus Olmark to Boston, Craig was brought in as more of a placeholder as it appeared that net, Finnish netminder, and I, I know 100% I'm going to butcher this name, Yuko Pekka Lukanen. Did I, did I say that right? Not bad. It's Uko, but, but otherwise you were pretty good. Okay. So it, it seemed like he was going to take the starting reins from – all Mark, unfortunately, Andy got most of the starts. In regard to Anderson, like, what was your thoughts on his season last year? And were you surprised to see the Sabres bring him back for another year? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was fine. I, I was surprised, honestly, when they initially signed him, just because I didn't see that as a fit. But it's like you said, you know, with All Mark out, you did need kind of a placeholder because Lukanen was not ready for the NHL. And honestly, at this point, is probably still not ready for the NHL full time. So you need that you know, kind of in between the Sabres have a lot of young goalies in their wheelhouse. Um, but you need someone who's ready now. And, you know, you, even though, you know, these are going to be rough seasons, the Sabres aren't going to be, you know, top of the division. You need a guy who's going to be steady in that. And I thought that's what Craig Anderson was last year. I was honestly surprised to see the Sabres sign him again. I, I really thought he was going to retire. I mean, he's, you know, 41, he's going to be 42 years old. That is old. I mean, I wish there was a nicer way to say that, but that's old for a hockey player and that's old <laughs> for a goalie. You know, I mean, I give him all the credit in the world. Um, but, you know, obviously it's just like what we said, he obviously wants to be here. He's willing to sign a one-year contract. He knows, you know, and especially right now, he's probably not your top goalie this year um, with Eric Comrie coming in. And then you've got, you know, Malcolm Subban, who's, probably going to bounce around between the NHL and the AHL too. And then you've got Lucan in. It's like, you got all these pieces that are lining up and we're not sure exactly how they're going to line up, but we're going to figure it out. Um, but I like him, you know, I, I don't think he's like your star goalie, um, but he's a fine uh, substitute. He's a fine fill in piece for these years. As you let some of your goalies in college develop, you let your guys in the AHL kind of figure it out and, kind of bring them in as you can, but not put the whole weight of the season on their shoulders. And I know even for us being Ottawa fans, like Craig was one of those guys who I've always said, when you look through the years of the Sens goaltenders, Craig was kind of the perfect Sens goaltender. Wasn't a superstar, wasn't flashy, was just solid, dependable, and he won games. But the thing about Craig Anderson too is like, there was a period where I would probably say he was probably the most underrated goaltender in the NHL where he was consistently stealing games. So like you do get that with Craig Anderson, maybe not at 41, but he's definitely a guy that's worth even just having around the younger goaltenders, even if he's only going to play five games a season. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it too. You know, I I was thinking like, even if he decides he really does decide to retire and doesn't want to come back for another season, I was thinking like, bring him in as a, a goaltending coach or a, a consultant or something because he has the God knows how many years of experience. He has a good idea of what it is to be an NHL goalie and he can help those young guys as they try to get this transition in. So just having him around is, is a big bonus. 
Yeah, and thankfully Craig was not one of these guys who was a superstar where it came easy to him. He's definitely one of those goalies that worked at it. So he would be, I would say, you know, I, right, I agree. He would be a perfect goalie coach because he could show a young guy, here's some pointers, here's some of the stuff that I did that helped me transition because he was a late bloomer, as a lot of people remember in with the Sens. Now, when we're talking about Lukanen, I do want to ask, because you mentioned all the Sabre goalies, like what is his projection right now to make the Buffalo Sabres? I think it's really tough. It's changed a lot over the years. I mean, when it was Linus Allmark, it was okay. It was Allmark's show. And then it was Lucan and meh, down the road. Now it's a little more tentative about how Lucan is going to develop and how, when he's going to make it to the NHL. I think a lot of people expected him to be ready sooner and, you know, he's not quite there yet. He looks okay at the AHL level, but he's definitely not NHL ready right now. Uh, but, you know, I think it's going to be a big year for him because they do have guys like Eric Portillo, who may or may not be in the organization after next year. They have Devin Levi, who looks stellar and I, I think will be there long term. You know, and then there's now talk about Tomas. Tom, I'm going to pronounce I'm going to mispronounce his name. Let me try again. Tomas Suchanik, who, you know, is a free agent um, and had a great showing at with the, with the Czech team, he's been an invite to this week's prospects camp. And I just read a Czech uh, news interview with him where he said he expects to get an entry level contract with the Sabres. Now, obviously that, that could just be him spitballing and saying like, Oh yeah, I expect that they're going to give me a contract, but I think there's definitely some interest there. And, you know, he's still got another year in juniors. Um, at least I don't know if he's got two years or not, but um that's definitely another interesting piece, but that just makes the whole Lukanen con kind of more complicated because then it's like, well, where does he fit in with all these other guys? Um, well, that's almost a good problem to have, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, it's a great problem to have. And I, I think it will kind of push Lukanen to maybe step up a little bit more. And because now it's like, Oh God, okay, wait, I, I really have to play for my spot. I really have to make them see that it's worth it because they have all these other guys that they could go with. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what he does in Rochester. Um, they also have a couple other good goalies for Rochester this year. Like Malcolm Subban, I think is going to spend most of the season there. Probably um, this guy named Beck warm, who the Amherst signed has looked great at Sabres prospects challenge uh, games this past few days. He was an invite, obviously, since he's only signed on an AHL deal. Um, but I think there's a lot of competition there, uh, which can be a very healthy thing, especially for a goalie, because you want to make it to the NHL. Well, you better prove that you're worth it. So. Now, the one final thing I do want to mention here, and I unfortunately failed to bring it up in the rundown, the Jersey retirement of Ryan Miller. And I know for a lot of for Senator fans, like Ryan Miller was not a very popular guy among the Ottawa fans, <laughs> but he was very popular among the Sabres fan base. And overall, like, I just want to get your take on Ryan Miller and how cool is that that the Sabres are going to be retiring his number 30 this January? I think that it, it is so great. Ryan Miller is just more than deserving of every accolade that he's gotten, you know. Um, it's it's kind of like I've been a Sabres fan since, you know, the early 90s. So I was there for the hashtag era. Some of the newer Sabres fans weren't there for that. So they, you know, were there for the Miller era. Um, those two for me are like, those are your Sabres goalies in history. Like those are 
your top two goalies in Sabres history. And Ryan Miller deserves every bit of praise that he's gotten, you know, from like USA hockey accolades and just everything. Even when he left Buffalo, people were still rooting for him. Even when he was with, you know, the Ducks or, or um, did he go somewhere else after that? I can't even remember. The Canucks. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's just got that personality. He's just this cool guy. He's really chill. He, you know, plays guitar and he was always involved in the community with his charity and his um, catwalk for charity that he used to hold every year. People love him. And I think it's maybe a little sooner than people expected to have his number retired, um, considering, you know, he really hasn't been retired all that long. And, but hey, why wait? Right. I mean, it's, it's awesome to see him get that honor. Uh, it, the only thing that could have made it better would have been if they did it while Rick Jenner was still around, because then, you know, that would have just been even better, but I'm sure that RJ will be there for that ceremony. Um, and I know like tickets are going for like $270 on StubHub for that game for like a 300 level ticket. So clearly it is a hot ticket. Um, and I love to see them, them honor him. And I think it, it's, it goes back to, you know, the goat head too. It brings up a lot of good memories. People have a lot of good memories of Brian Miller's time with the Sabres. It brings back the Drury and Breer days, the hardest working team in hockey, the 06, 07, you know, the playoff runs, things that we all want to think about now is the Sabres are hopefully heading back towards the playoffs. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see him get his number retired. And I think that's going to be awesome. As I see it in the background, <laughs> mysterious floating goat head. <laughs> I, love that. I do got to ask though: Is Ryan Miller a lock for the Hall of Fame? I think so. I I, th- I don't see how you don't put him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he holds so, he held so many records. Um, he still holds a lot of Sabres records. He you know had a prominent role with USA Hockey. Like, right. Yeah. And like, there's even a famous photo you can use of Crosby's golden goal. <laughs> Like yeah. Ryan Miller is right there. Like I think he rightfully has a spot too. <laughs> see, see, Melissa, we can rub the salt in the suit. <laughs> Sorry, right, I was at that. Rub the suit, so, salt know. with the Sens fans. If we do it for Team Canada, so yeah, uh, good stuff, good stuff. So, Tim, do you have any more questions that you would like to ask, Melissa? Yep. Uh, we're gonna ask this to everyone, but where do yeah. you see the Buffalo Sabers finishing in the Atlantic Division? Oh, good question. I am going to say third. Um, you know, I think they've, they've made a lot of it. I like it. <laughs> I think they've made a lot of improvements. I don't think realistically they're going to be a playoff team this year. I don't think they're going to be top of the division. Um, but And I also think there's a lot of competition in the division. You know, there's a lot of good teams out there. Um, but I think that they've made enough strides. And especially if they play like they played the last two months of the season, if they can keep that going and kind of feed off of that, which is really seems to be what they want to do. I think that's where they could finish. So which teams fall off to get Buffalo to third? Ooh, good question. Let me pull up the standings. <laughs> Cause it would be, you're not going to like my answer. <laughs> well, it would have, you would have to see Buffalo, sorry, Boston yeah. and one of Tampa or Florida falter or maybe even i don't see the maple leaves faltering that bad unless ryan murray sorry yeah unless matt murray just absolutely implodes upon himself 
I think that's a real possibility. But, but. that's that's very true. <laughs> um, and I mean, I don't know. I just maybe Boston falls a little bit too. I, I mean, those, we said those, on the show last year that we saw Boston being the one that falters, but it might this might be the year. I mean, they're I think they're yeah. at desperation mode now. They're just bringing back all the old stars. They brought back Krejci. They brought back Bergeron. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised they didn't bring back Castle for all for all I know. <laughs> but you never know. I mean, but but that's where I see it. I I think they're they've gotten better this summer and just over the past you know little bit and like i said if they can play like they played at the end of last last season i can see them moving up so cool now one final thing i do want to ask before we head off is for the people who didn't listen to the season preview show from last year where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find the blog die by the blade yeah so i'm on twitter at underscore melissa burgess and uh, dieblade.com is where all my Sabres writing is. Um, we've, we're in the midst of our top 25, under 25 for Sabres prospects right now. So we're um, just over halfway through. I, I don't think there's been too many surprises yet. And I don't think there will be too many surprises going <laughs> forward. But obviously the Sabres have a lot of good prospects. So uh, we're doing that and just getting ready for the season. I mean, training camp uh, day one is Thursday. So we are ready to go. Hi everyone, this is Ron Tugnut. You're listening to Third Line Plug, Sendcast. Once again, big shout out to David Dwork, Noah Wilson, Jake Rivard, Melissa Burgess, and Brandon Quast for joining us for these segments. I had a great time recording. I know, unfortunately, you weren't available for some of these segments, but got a chance to do them and they were fantastic. Now, do you have any final comments you want to make before we head off to the close for today's episode? I was impressed that I think all but one of these people think their team's going to make the playoffs. So we've got a lot of competition and it's going to be a fun season to watch. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the third line plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Cause believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the national podcast network. You can find our page on national podcast network. You can find our page to Spotify, iTunes, and Google play. We're also on Twitter at third line plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 honey badger. I'm at great White gipster GR8. W-I-T-E, Gifster. If you want to shoot us an email to give your thoughts on the American segments for our season preview show, shoot us an email, thoroughplanceskies at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jancy. Go Sands, guys. <laughs>